Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? 22 pounds and counting. 22 pounds down. I was just going to say, hey, skinny malinks, how you doing? 22 pounds down. <laughs> Last time I got on the scale was 18. I waited a few days. About five days, got on, bang, 22. So uh, quite a procedure, me getting on. It's like a weigh-in for like a unified title fight. I, I, <laughs> I go downstairs in the basement where we got a doctor's scale, and it's calibrated. <laughs> and um, and I know you strip down naked uh, well, before you weigh yourself. It depends. <laughs> if I don't hit the weight I want, I, get, I start taking clothes off. <laughs> and then uh, my, uh, my daughter even shakes her head. She says, when I made a certain way, she said, you took your shirt off. I said, yeah, I didn't have to go further, but I took my T-shirt off. But I get on, I get on very carefully, one foot at a time. Uh, <laughs> I hold on to something. Uh, I won't mention who's done that in the past because we love the person. And um, uh, a little hint, you maybe UFC. Hey, he was very honest about it. I mean, you talk about an yep. honest, honest, honest man. Uh, DC, the great legendary Hall of Fame of DC, but when he made the Hall of Fame, he did talk about that uh, he held on to a towel um, one time to to help himself. But this is not uh, for any real event other than my own event and my myself. And the um, most important event. Yeah, it's it's important. So I I got on very carefully, one step at a time. And I even do the old tricks in boxing. I take a deep breath. They stand in a certain part of the scale, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I pre, I pre put the weight, you know, into a position that I want to make. So when I make that, then I move it up. So I put it at twenty pounds, and when it didn't even move at twenty, I said, "Oh, he, that's good." And then I moved it to twenty-one. It still didn't move. I moved it to 22, and it, it just before I got to 22, it started to balance off. So I got off, stripped down a little bit, um, full disclosure, and then got back on, and bang, 22 pounds, baby. All you got to do now is just don't hang out with your Italian friends in Staten Island because you know if you go over their house, the wives, the grandmothers are all going to be like, Teddy, you're getting too skinny. Have some more baked ziti. That's like don't Lou Duva, my old friend. God bless him, <laughs> Lou Duva. I remember Tommy Lasorda. He was friends with Tommy Lasorda, the, the legendary manager of the Dodgers. And... Um, you know, they're paisans, you know, and they're into the Italian stuff and Italian food and all that. So uh, Tommy had gone on to a diet. He had lost a lot of weight. And he was actually doing a commercial for one of those drinks. I can't remember which one it was, Nutrisystem or, or Slim Fast, whatever it was. It was one of those. And so Lou Duva had just uh, opened up an Italian restaurant in, um, I think it's Wayne, New Jersey. That's where he lived. And he had just opened up, and Tommy, he had Tommy come over. Uh, I had gone by. Uh, he, he had Tommy Lazorda come over to the restaurant. And when he sees Tommy, he goes, oh, my God, he goes, you, you sick? You know, and meanwhile, the guy had, was proud of himself. You know, he had lost like 50 pounds. He, he felt like good, you know. And he goes, you, you, you look sick, Tommy. Come on, we got to get some man of God. <laughs> yeah. By the way, yeah. Teddy, 
I was at an event, speaking of Italians, I was at an event this weekend and I bumped into the uh, Philly-based rapper OT The Real and we were chit-chatting and I mentioned to him, well, he recognized me from the show and we started chit-chatting and he FaceTimed uh, Sonny Conto, the heavyweight uh, prospect 10-0 and and his dad, Frank Conto. Shout out to those guys, Philadelphia legends. And they like couldn't have been kinder. They love the show. They listen every week. They say, matter of fact, when he FaceTimed him, I'm not kidding, they were both sitting down watching film together. On a uh, on a Saturday afternoon. The way you do it, if you're gonna move forward, if you're gonna make it in this business, you got to do your homework. You got to be serious. You got to be diligent. You got to be committed. And a father son team is committed. It sounds like obviously they're doing good. They're ten and all with eight knockouts. And uh, you know hasn't stepped up to that level yet where you're gonna be really tested. But you can see one thing about Sonny that they're very. You you just touched on it actually. Um, they're serious. They're committed. They're doing everything they can to get to where they have to get to. Uh, they're gentlemen. They're good guys. I like them. Um, and he can punch. That's that's kind of important in every way to visit. <laughs> that, uh, and he's got some athleticism to him, Sonny. So uh, all the best. All the, all the best. Yeah. Uh, to anybody in this business that's trying to climb up this uh, difficult ladder uh, that has a lot of rungs on it and that you can easily slip uh, very quickly. So best of luck to them. And um, also I want to thank your friend. Uh, you have a friend there, Jerry Itzler. I know that you do. Jesse. Jesse, Jesse you Itzler. do a lot of running with him and all that stuff. He has events at his house and he does charity work and he just donated uh, something to the Dr. Atlas Foundation. So um, I can't depend on you thanking him, so I have to do it on the show. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Jesse. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ken, because uh, obviously he's donating because uh, you're telling him about the foundation. Of course, and uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also give a shout-out to Michael the Bounty Hunter, another heavyweight prospect who's just a super nice kid and always looking to improve himself inside and outside You know, his father was a special fighter. Yep. I don't know if people realize that. His father had a, some issues, a lot, a lot of issues. Uh, he came from tough places and everything, which a lot of fighters do, a lot of people do, and he got he got to a good place in boxing where he, he beat a lot of good fighters. He, he was a tricky, unorthodox, awkward guy who had good instincts, very, very clever in the ring. And he, he had a, he had a tough, tough situation. And, um, he, 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 he passed in a very, uh, unfortunate, difficult way. And, um, but he beat a lot of good fighters and his son, was an Olympian. Uh, he, he made the Olympic team uh, for the United States. I don't remember how far he went, um, but he also fought my former fighter who had won a title. He fought um, Pavetkin in the pros. Uh, I think that fight with Pavetkin might have been either Pavetkin won a real close decision or it was a draw. Uh, you, he lost a unanimous decision to Usyk, so he's been in there 12 yeah. rounds How about Pavekin? Yeah, he's been in there with top guys. Um, how about he fought Pavekin, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he got a, he got a uh, split decision draw. Yeah, it was a draw. So, split draw. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Um, listen, he knows how to fight. Uh, picked up a little bit of the, of the instincts and the cleverness in the ring of his father uh, where, you know, he's... he's He's thinking in there where he's obviously trying to hit and not get hit, which is what the sweet science is about. 
But um, yeah, he he made the Olympic team. Not too many people do that. Um, so good luck. Uh, I, he hasn't been active. I don't know. I mean, you would know better. He than had me. a uh, he's he had a tough he had a tough outing against Jerry Forrest. The fight he definitely should have won. I think he'd be the first to admit it. Back in. Um, uh, December 2nd of 21, he got a draw against, uh, like I said, Jerry Forrest. But more, more than even the fighting, Michael Hunter is a nice kid who's always trying to improve inside and out of the, outside of the ring. He reads a lot. We talk a lot about uh, finance from time to time. And he's just a guy who's like genuinely curious, like, a, like same with like a Regis Progray. And by the way, he sends his best. Thank you for everything he said. I forgot to tell you about that off air. Super appreciative. Couldn't have been happier. I'll talk to you talk, more about yeah, that. Yeah, talk but, about uh, nice guys. Look, uh, these are all fighters. We wish him luck. He's going to be fighting for the world title. We wish, I think he's going to win the title. Um, we wish him luck. But we're talking about good people. That For me, that's where it starts. You know, that uh, you're glad to help somebody if they're a decent person, if there's a core of goodness in them. And all the people you just mentioned, that's that that's the commonality uh with all of them and that's reaches you know that you just talked about pro grace that he's just uh you know he conducts himself the way that you'd want anyone to conduct himself as a person as a man uh outside of their professional realm of whatever it might be uh as an example just as a decent person so anyway best of luck to him and um best of luck to the bounty hunter the bounty, the original bounty hunter's son, so. Bounty hunter Jr. Well, Teddy, let's get in and talk about some of the weekend's action. Mick Conlon was back in action this weekend. He uh, got a one-sided unanimous decision against Miguel Mariaga. Coming off that, uh, Mick's coming off that tough last round knockout to Lee Wood for a title in the uh, in the UK. A brutal knockout. Um, you know, this was a big test for him. I don't think Mariaga wasn't the best opponent he's ever been in there with, but he did exactly what he was supposed to do, so credit to him. He knocked him down multiple times. Mick knocked him Mariaga down multiple times, handled his business, didn't get him out of there, but he did the job. One-sided beatdown. Nice to see Mick Conlon back in the win column after that scary knockout loss to Lee Wood, like I said. Um, how'd you like that action? Listen, we do the x-ray deal over here, you know, the CAT scan, so we get, we're going to do the whole thing real quick. Um, first of all, Mariaga's 35 years old, so yeah, you touched on it. Uh, shop one, uh, the matchmakers, the uh, promoters, you know, top rank. Conlon himself, he was promoting a fight too. He was part of the promotion <laughs> over there in Belfast Island where he comes from. I believe he comes from Belfast, but anyway, the, the fight was in Belfast, and, of course, Conlon represented Ireland in the Olympics. That's right. He is from Belfast. Yeah. He's famous. He famously or infamously uh, stuck his middle finger up in the Olympics when uh, he lost a controversial decision to the Cuban. I had been sticking up fingers to them, to Aiba, way before he started sticking fingers up to Aiba. But I wasn't actually <laughs> sticking my finger up. I was just telling them they sucked and, and uh, they, they should be abolished from the sport of boxing when I called well they have been kicked out of the Olympics but finally finally a little late yeah but finally yeah, um, you know I called four Olympics for NBC uh, when the great Dick Ebersol was the head over there guy that's there now is not great but uh, Ebersol was great 
And um, I think everybody out there likes my um, unvarnished uh, truth about how I feel. I don't know. I, 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 a few people do. And Everyone except the IEBA administrators and promoters worldwide. Yeah, they, <laughs> I mean, I started in Sydney and went for Olympics with the great Marv Albert and then the great Bob Popper uh, as the announcers with me as the, I was the color man. And we, we exposed this stuff. And um, they, they still let them stay there. They, the IOC let them stay there. Aiba, as crooked as they was, corrupt as they was, much as they destroyed young fighters' careers and lives, they let them stay. Finally, they got rid of them. But anyway, Conlon felt their wrath um, that, that I had been dealing with for years. And he got robbed uh, against a Cuban. I didn't see the fight, but from what everyone said and obviously the way he reacted, uh, he got robbed. And uh, he gave his middle finger to the judges and it went worldwide. <laughs> it, it went, you know, it went everywhere. It went viral. And then, of course, Bob Aaron said, oh, that's good. I could promote that. That's a good, that's a good finger. And um, so he, he promoted him. He signed him up with uh, Top Rank. And, of course, he fights on ESPN. And like you said, he got knocked out in his last fight. Devastating knockout. Got knocked out of the ring uh, by Lee Wood. And, you, you know, you want In the final rounds in a fight, I think he may have been winning. But he, had, he definitely had Lee Wood down early. Yeah, he was getting worn out a little bit. But, yeah, Lee Wood's a tough, dogged guy that was uh, a better puncher than him, a little more physical than him. Conlon's not real physical, and he kind of warmed up. It's like up. a hallmark of those British fighters, Teddy, that they're just dogs, like a Ricky Hat, and you're going to have to kill them to get them out of there most of the time. No, he's a they, dogged they are guy. tough. And he warmed down, he broke him down, he knocked him out of the ring, knocked him out. And um, with a right hand, I believe. And they, look, you, you got to come back, you got to be careful coming back, and top rank was, they got a guy with a good record, but... That was that they could sell. He had he had fought Lomachenko, you know, but now he's thirty five years old and he shot one. So they look, they did their job. They picked the guy, and it was still a struggle. It still wasn't a freebie. It still wasn't a layup. It still wasn't a yeah, walk in the park. He was thirty and five. He was thirty and five coming yeah. in. It only been stopped once, but like you said, he but was like the perfect opponent with just enough wins, just enough experience to test him, but not enough to like not get his confidence back and get him on track. No, yeah, and slow enough, Nick. slow enough, predictable enough, one dimensional enough, slow enough with his feet, where Conlon could box and do what he's what he likes to do. The only guy that stopped him was Lomachenko, stopped Mariaga. And, um, you know, he, what did, what did Conlon do? He, early on, it was not eventful. It was boring. But they were both doing a lot of gesturing, a lot of positioning, a, a lot of, you know, fencing, you know, feints and, just trying to get good position. Nobody wanted to lead, Ken, because they were both looking at counterpunch. Conlon likes to counterpunch. So nobody wanted to leave themselves exposed. So there was no action. There was no action the first few rounds. And then, you know, it started going a little bit more. And um, it was close. But then Conlon finally, towards the later part of the fight, he got Mariaga to... Co cooperate with him a little and start leading enough where Conlon could get what he wanted without leaving himself at risk which is the counter 
and he started to counter better, and he got home cooking. He got help from the freaking referee. The ref should be ashamed of himself or get his eyes adjusted. He, there is no shame. There's no shame in the sport. Refs, judges, for the most part, there's no shame. They do what they want to do promote what they need to promote, get the results they need to get results. It's happened so many times. It's now you feel silly even pointing it out because it's such a regular But it has occurrence. to be pointed out, Ken, because because otherwise we, we go along with it. We're, we're complicit in it. We, we it's Completely almost, agree. It's almost like we agree, like, oh, so what? It's boxing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're still going to say something, and you're still going to disagree, and you're still going to be, you know, uh, saying, going on the, the, on the fight on this show and, and, and exposing these guys for whatever it's worth, whether it helps or not. And, um, you know, it's just like when people used to say to me, Teddy, you still get disappointed in people when they, when they do something wrong or, you know, when they, when they do something that's not, that shouldn't be done or not deserving of the, the years that you were loyal to them and you did whatever, you had a relationship and, they disappoint you because they get tempted a little. They, it's not convenient, or, or they, 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 you know, whatever. Uh, they're gonna make a little more money, or whatever it is, and they betray you in some way. Teddy, how do you still get disappointed? You've been around the block too many times. I, you know what I say? I'm gonna get disappointed till I die because when I don't get disappointed, I'm dead. When I when I stop getting disappointed, I'm not alive anymore. I'm freaking dead. It doesn't mean I'm shocked. It doesn't mean I'm surprised at the weakness of people or the strength of people. But it means, yeah, damn right I'm disappointed. Damn right when somebody should do something, they don't do it. Uh, and they do what's weak and what's convenient. But I'm not shocked. But yeah, if I'm not disappointed, then I go along with it. And if you go along with it, there's something wrong. So again, this referee, can he... He gave him two knockdowns that were slips. They weren't knockdowns. They were slips. The replay showed it. Now, the, finally, Conlon did score a legitimate knockdown, you know, um, uh, after that. But two of them were slips, and it changed the course of the fight. It changed the scorecards. It changed the momentum, the rhythm. Mentally, it changed things, obviously, for, for you know, for Conlon and for Mariaga, especially Mariaga, that you know you're the underdog to begin with, and now you got two knockdowns that you don't deserve scored against you. You know what? Mentally, it does take some air out of the balloon, and it doesn't help you. So that wasn't nice. <laughs> That's how I'm going to say that. That wasn't nice. That wasn't very nice. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Conlon got the job done. He got the win. Obviously, the Irishman needed this win uh, badly. Uh, top rank needed it badly to get their guy back on track, to make him viable again, <clears throat> to move him towards the title. Uh, again, he's not a physical guy. He's a decent counterpuncher. He can box. Um, you know, uh, he had the right guy in front of him. Uh, it's it still wasn't it still wasn't a like I said earlier. It still wasn't a layup until later when it became a little easier. But he got the job done, 
and he moves on. Hey guys, want to take a quick pause to give a thank you to today's sponsor, one of our favorites, Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. I love this stuff, travel with it everywhere, take it every day. Honestly, I never miss a day. I treat it like an insurance policy for my body's health and immunity. These guys spent 10 years with top nutritionists and doctors to create this formula. It's made from 75 whole food source ingredients. It's got all your vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, etc., etc. Athletic Greens has given our listeners 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. By the way, these travel packs are invaluable. I take them with me everywhere. Simply go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas. So you enter that into the address, athleticgreens.com slash atlas to claim the special offer of 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Get your health on the right track. Use Athletic Greens, athleticgreens.com slash atlas. Also want to give a shout out to today's sponsor, Feel Free, the botanical based kava root drink comes in a little blue bottle. I love this stuff. I take it probably two or three days a week, especially before big workouts. It claims it has a calming effect, but I find that it like eases my anxiety a little bit, especially if I know I've got a big workout coming up, but still allows me to perform at an incredibly high level. And just for context, I took this before I ran a personal best in the half marathon last November, the week before Thanksgiving at the Nashville half marathon, I ran a 110 half marathon, 522 per mile. And I took this feel free right before the race started. So while it claims to have calming effects, I find it gives me a performance boost when it comes time to race or time to like really throw down and I'm feeling nervous about the effort level that I'm about to put out. So feel free, check them out at botanicaltonics.com. Use the promo code Atlas. They'll give you 40% off your first purchase. That's a huge savings, botanicaltonics.com, promo code ATLAS. Yep, also in action this weekend, the uh, welterweight prospect and one of the one of the two or three fighters keeping Golden Boy alive, Virgil Ortiz, gets the ninth round stoppage over Michael McKinson. Um, you know, entertaining fight, both undefeated guys coming in looking to prove something. I, I think the main takeaway for me, at least, when I watch Virgil Ortiz, who I love, I think he's got all the potential in the world. I don't see, based on that performance, I can't see him cha- seriously challenging the likes of a Bud Crawford or even someone like a Boots Ennis. I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but that's I'm dying to hear your take on this because I really like Virgil Ortiz. But if this guy McKinson had any punching power, I think he could have hit him a few times and like done some damage. But um, like I say, Virgil eventually wore him down, laid some beautiful uppercuts and body work on him eventually ninth round. Um, I think the corner stopped it in the ninth after having it, after having McKinson down in the eighth. How'd you like it? And what'd you think about um, Ortiz's performance? Do you think he's ready for that next level? I like Ortiz. So like, only 24 years old. I like him a lot. I like him after the fight, the way he conducts himself, the way he talks. He's articulate. He's a gentleman. He's humble. Um, I like the way he fights. I like the way he's developing. That's the key word to to your point, developing. Let him continue developing. He's young, um, and he's let him keep growing. Let him keep getting better. Uh Keep him away from Crawford. Keep him away from those guys you just mentioned. There's no need to go there right now. Uh, and, and listen, there's no knock on him. Those are special guys you just mentioned. You know, we still got to find out about Boots Anders. He still has to be tested at that next level, but he looks pretty damn good. Uh, but Crawford doesn't have to be tested. We know what he is, and we know what Spence is. So uh, keep him away from those guys. And again, 
It's it's no knock on them. Those guys are special. Those guys are special. That would be like back in the 80s saying, uh, keep someone away from Sugar Ray Leonard or Tommy Hearns or Roberto Duran. No knock on them. Those guys are special. Keep them away. Uh, they're, they're not ready yet. And Teddy, I'll, I'll say this about Ortiz just for the, for those who may not know. He's 19-0 and with 19 knockouts, but more importantly, He's like progressing nicely in terms of the step-ups. He beat Maurice. He stopped uh, Maurice Hooker. Then he stopped Kavalakis, the mean machine, I believe uh, they call him. And now he's got Michael McKinson, who was undefeated when he beat the, uh, or Caval. No, that's not mean machine. Kavalakis was 21-0-1 and when he, when he stopped him. So he seems to be progressing nicely. But like you said, He's still young and he probably needs some more seasoning before he gets to that top level. Although he's such a nice kid and such a tough guy, I'm sure if they offered him the fight, he'd jump right in there. But from a promoter's standpoint, you may want him to have a little more seasoning for those next level guys. uh, Unless they're giving him as much money as you have, there's no way (laughs) that D'Lo Hoyer is jumping into that. First of all, he's not really completely stupid, especially when he's sober. But, you know, he... D'Lo Hoya only has him and Ryan Garcia, really. I mean, without them, he's out of business, basically. So there's no <laughs> way, there's no way he's he's feeding them to the Lions. Let's, let's leave it at that. Yeah. So that ain't happening. Now, as far as this fight, McKinson, you know, he had no power. Um, he's a southpaw, you know, which could be tricky. And, um, and he was very gutsy, no doubt about that. But, you know, he was a cutie. He was a slick cutie with no power. and um, But the steady pressure and body work of Ortiz finally broke him, broke him down. McKinson tried to, tried to fight with him, uh, which I thought was kind of not the smartest thing to do with a guy who was just better in that area and stronger in that area. But he did try to fight with Ortiz, but Ortiz was too strong. Uh, then he tried to use his legs. And Ortiz did the right thing, which you want to see in a small fighter, a developing fighter, a future champion maybe. Ortiz took the air out of his tires with, you know, with the body work. Um, at the end of the day, Ken, it was a workmanlike job uh, by Ortiz getting it all done. Uh, and as I said, you know, um, keep him away from, uh, keep him away from those monsters right now. You know, uh, like like they have that thing on the pack of cigarettes uh where it says uh smoking these could be dangerous to your health uh the the surgeon general says to stay away from cigarettes they can be dangerous to your health right now um i'm not the surgeon general but uh teddy atlas and ken ride out on the fight are giving you a little bit of advice you probably already know because you have smart people which you. Stay away from those guys. Don't let your ego get involved. Stay away from those guys. Give yourself more time to develop. Yep, great advice. Um, and we'll just keep rock, rocking through these because we've got a ton of stuff to coverage for a relatively quiet weekend. There was some uh, notable action in terms of, uh, at least in terms of the UFC and some of the developments going on in boxing. But with that being said, let's talk about next week. Tiafimo Lopez back in action after suffering uh, the loss to George Cambosis. Lost all his belts. Had to be a big blow for Tiafimo. Very proud guy. They loved being the unified champ. They took it from Vasily Lemachenko and they uh, they didn't miss a PR opportunity to get pictures taken with all those belts. And hey, they earned them. They deserved it. But 
The point is suffering a loss when you're riding high like that, especially when you've just won all the belts. A lot of people argue like to be the champ, you really have to defend the title once or, you know, to kind of solidify your position at least. And a tough loss for Tiafimo, especially then, you know, George loses the, all the belts to Devin Haney his next goal, next time out. Um, nevertheless, we got Tiafimo back in. He's uh, in with Pedro Campa, a guy, honestly, I didn't know much, too much about. He's 34-1. and one. He's got 23 knockouts. But the one thing that sticks out to me, and he's got a draw, the one thing that sticks out to me, Teddy, is, that, look, there's no problem with fighting in Mexico. They have some scraps down there, as everyone knows. But this guy is... In 34 fights, he's had one fight in the U.S. And, um, you know, it's hard to read into someone's record when all the fights are in one particular foreign country. You know, reporting of the, of the results, et cetera, et cetera, aren't always, like, completely accurate. Nevertheless, looks to be a bounce-back fight for Tiafimo. I'd be surprised if they'd even use a guy like Camper as a sparring partner had they won that fight against Cambosos. But nevertheless, it's on Saturday night. What are you looking for in this one? I'll go down the road a little more. You did a good job going down there. I'll go down like I used to go down the road when I was corner fights and I wanted to give the fans every every bit of information they could get to to handicap the fight before I even caught it and to have an idea uh, of what was going to happen. Um, he's as you said, he's 34. We're talking about Camper, Pedro Camper. He's 34, one and one. 30. Pe Pedro Camper is 30 years old. Yeah, 34, one and one. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't say he's 34 years old. He's 34. Oh, sorry, yeah. you said 34. I'm sorry, yeah. I thought you said yeah, his no. age. Sorry, it's all yeah, right. you're right. 34, one, yeah. 30 year old guy. Can you hear good? You all right? Those those things work. <laughs> all right, 34, one and one. Old 20, age. No, no problem. 23 KOs. Um, he's been knocked out in his one and only loss, and he was knocked out in that one loss to a fighter who had a record at the time of 11 wins, 8 losses, and 1 draw. So that tells a little bit of the story right there. That the great Carlos Jimenez. Yeah, now listen, it doesn't mean that a guy with a bad record can't be a steady, good, solid guy. Of course that doesn't mean that. It doesn't. Because a lot of times they are. They're experienced guys that just weren't managed well, and they they fought everybody in their hometown. They got some bad decisions, whatever. Um, but it's the right guy. Uh, you're on the right track. We're on the right track. Uh, top rank is obviously they're being careful. Uh, they're going to make sure they bring them back with some sheet music, like the old timers would say, bring your own music. So they're going to bring a little sheet music and um, play their own tune. And he's got a guy... And camp, I broke him down a little bit, so I could give you a quick, a quick report card on him. Where he's not physical, he's not a puncher. Um, he's he's crafty enough. He's he's a decent. He's a decent, solid enough guy. Um, that's in. But the only problem is he's right in front of you. A little. A, anyone who's right in front of Teofimo. Is, might have a problem because he's very explosive. You know, he's a good punch, obviously, very explosive. He can put his hands on you clean. He's going to have a chance to get you out of there. And um, Camper is a guy that you can put your hands on him, especially with a right hand, where he's got a flaw, I noticed, of dropping his left hand when he slips to his right, where he's in the lane of the right hand. And he'll lay over on the right side with his left hand low, 
And I have a feeling he's going to eat a right a right hand from Lopez because of that. And he probably he'll probably get an early night uh, to the showers because of that. But again, a game guy. He behaves like a fighter. He's experienced. Uh, you know, he's solid enough. You know, technically. Uh, got a little craftiness to him, move his head, you know, get away from the shots he needs to. Um, but he's in front of you. And I think at the end of the day, like I said, he's not a physically strong guy. I think Teofimo is just going to be a little too strong, a little too explosive, and probably going to put a right hand on his potato and um, and get back on track the way that his promoter is planning on them getting on track, and that's why they picked his opponent. Yep, that's a pretty good summation, and I think that that's what's going to happen. By the way, the line, according to my bookie, is roughly minus 3,500 to win 100 on Lopez, plus 750 on Campa, which is, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty wide line. I mean, I, I think at plus 2,500, you'd have a hard time getting action on Campa. But at the same time, look, maybe Campa has something that uh, you just said you broke it down, but maybe Campa has something that that the bookies think that uh, other people aren't seeing, but... I just don't yeah, see. Yeah, it's called it's called a horseshoe in the glove, but but I think they're gonna. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're gonna check for that, Ken. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And um, yep. look, at the end of the day, it's what the doctor ordered. If you happen to uh, be the physician for Lopez and uh, the promoter for Lopez. Yeah. Well, should be interesting. We'll be back next Monday to break all the action down after the fact. But uh, just touch on some of the ongoings in the uh, world of boxing this week. Jake Paul obviously had his fight with Haseem Rockman Jr. canceled on the service. No big deal. But when you really think about what's going on there, the promoters and everyone involved, a lot of money had been spent building this fight up. Rockman, whether you agree, whether you think it's Jake's fault or Rockman's is neither here nor there. But at the end of the day, uh, Rockman admitted, hey, I know I took the fight at 200, but I was never coming in at 200. I was just going to take the penalty, fight for the minimum, and come in at 215. Which, okay, I mean... That's pretty much that pretty much sums up the whole sport of boxing. Like, yeah, I'll agree to do that, but I don't really agree. I'm just gonna like pull a fast one at the last minute, whatever. A lot of money have been spent promoting the fight, building it up. They have a whole undercard. Those as for those who don't know, when you're in a training camp, you've got to pay, you know, your trainer, boxing gym fees, dues. Get your get your. I mean, for the guys who are at coming up and you know level by level you get bigger expenses with each training camp you got to pay the sparring partner more to come in the better you get so they've got the training they've got the training expenses the sparring partners everything associated your trainer everyone who's working with you is going to get paid on fight night when you've been in training camp for 10 weeks and you've got two weeks left this fight was canceled two one or two weeks out you've been you're out of pocket for you know, several thousands, in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars in training expenses. So to have the fight canceled because the, to have the card canceled because the main event is canceled, it disrupts a lot of people's finances. And when you're a guy who's just on that cusp of like, I mean, a lot of these guys will break even. They, maybe they get 20 grand for the fight, but everyone gets their piece, the manager, the trainer, expenses incurred during camp if you're doing it right. And, you know, those heavy, some of these guys are spending much more than that, especially at like the heavyweight in that world title level. Nevertheless, the fight gets canceled. Then uh, Jake Paul came out and announced he's going to pay everyone who's on the undercard. Whatever their purse was, he's going to pay it. He says he also lost millions of dollars. No, no, let's be bill, accurate, which, Ken. Let's be accurate. For, yeah. I wanted to talk about this because I think that, I think it's admirable, beyond admirable, 
um, proper, right. Nobody else really does it. I, I wanted to give him credit for that. But it's, he's paying 50%, Ken, not, not the full. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah we just want to be Sorry about that. It's all right. It's all I right. Misspoke. But he's, the fact that he's paying any of them allows uh, 100%. Them, nothing else That's why to I wanted to mention this. Because, no, yep. everything you said, right on, right on. And the reason why I wanted to highlight this, I'm the first one. You're with me. You back me up. You, you, you. I mean, the things that I say. That if you believe in it, you're gonna obviously be with me, and not afraid to go in that same pool that I'll go into and put my foot in, my whole foot, my two feet, my whole body. I drowned in the damn thing. Um, uh, of pool of that of water that is not favorable to a lot of people when you're criticizing them and you're telling things that they don't want told. And so I'm the first one to knock somebody when I believe they should be knocked for doing something wrong. And But I'm also pride myself in being the first to also credit them when they do something admirable, something right, something that not everyone does. And that's what we're doing right here. He needs to be properly, you know, uh, just acknowledged, Jake Paul, for doing the right thing. They don't do this. Networks, the Aram, ESPN, Showtime, all these big, rich, wealthy people, they, when, when a card falls out like this, you know, we're not talking about when a fighter gets on a scale and, you know, the day of the fight. But when a fight falls out, like you said, a week or two, I'm not sure what the timeline was, but whatever it was, when a fight falls out before, they nobody gets, they don't get reimbursed. There's insurance, the promoters take insurance, and, and they get something. I'm, I'm sure Jake had some insurance in place and whatever that is. Um, but... You never hear about these undercard fighters getting something for all the time and the money they spent in getting prepared, you know, for that fight. Uh, you, you never, ever. And again, I just want to make sure I acknowledge and we acknowledge this, this is unheard of. And again, it's partly because Jake is not a boxing lifer, but he's new to the business, and he said he wants to do things a little different, whatever. Everyone says that, and they're all full of crap. But this guy's actually doing something different. You know, everyone says, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to treat the fighters better. I've heard it. I've heard it to the cows come home, and, and I still haven't seen it. And this guy is actually... He talked to talk. He's walking to walk. He he's actually doing something that's unheard of, that hasn't been done before by these these guys. Um, and again, I think it's because he's he's new to the sport, and you know he he has his own feelings about it. He said that, uh, and and he's actually living up to it, where he's going to give fifty percent of the purses to these guys uh, that wound up never getting in the ring. So I hope. Jake, if you're listening, he's been on our show. I hope you stay in the business. Really. I hope you're successful in everything you do and you stay in the freaking business because we could use a breath of fresh air like you. We really could. 
with all these BS artists that said, oh, yeah, we're going to change this sport. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. You changed your, the money from one pocket to the other. That's that's about the only thing you did. You moved it from the right side of your pants to the left side. That's about the only thing you freaking changed. But um, congratulations. Congratulations for doing that. Again, Ken said it right. We ain't picking who was right with this whole thing, who was wrong, whatever. You sign a contract, Jake. You know, I mean, he did sign a contract, Rockman. He, you know, I, he couldn't make the wait, but he did sign it. But we're not even do going there. But I will go one other place. The commission was in New York to fight, right, Ken? And um, yep. the New York State Athletic Commission... All right, again, another one I'm not going to get a Christmas card from. But that's okay, Ken. Send me two. So you and Rob, send me an extra Christmas card so I don't, <laughs> I don't get sensitive. So I, so I don't feel bad this, this uh, holiday season. They are, what the freak are we, what are you having a commission take, get paid from taxpayers' money? What are they getting paid a salary for? What the F? Are they, what the freak are they there for if they can't use some kind of freaking judgment in the business, right? They're supposed to be there to protect the fighter, protect his welfare, protect his health. Well, when you got a guy who's fought at 224 pounds and now you're going to let him sign a contract to make, <laughs> to, to make 200 pounds, don't you... Scratch your head a little bit and say, wait a minute, I don't think that's healthy. You're going to lose 24 pounds when you're already a big guy in shape. You've never done that before. And you're going to make, you're going to lose, you're going to come down to 200. It's the obligation of the New York State Athletic Commission in this case, because that's where the fight was, to, to say something, to say, wait a minute. We can't allow this. Uh, I mean, uh, unless you give us a little bit better uh, story than this and proof, other than I want to get paid more money. So I say yes, unless you show us that you you can make the weight, which obviously they didn't, um, 24 pounds, you're going to let somebody sign a contract to, and then you're going to go along and, and then get shocked get shocked when they don't make the mandated weight, uh, when, when they're supposed to, when they're checking on the weights, when it gets a little closer. And, and even the weight checks that they were doing, it was a little late in the game. I mean, <laughs> some of those weight checks, I mean, I, I forget what one of them was, but you, you still had like 15 pounds to lose in like two weeks or whatever the hell it was. But bottom line is, there's a lot of complicity here. Uh, the commission has a responsibility to use better freaking judgment than they used when they okayed this fight with a 224-pound guy to make 200 pounds. But again, kudos, bravo to Jake Paul for paying these guys. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And with that, we'll have a lot more to talk about in the coming weeks with the boxing. But like I said, a relatively slow uh, weekend in terms of boxing. Um, but there was obviously, per usual, another UFC um, event, the fight night this time from um, the Apex in Las Vegas. 
Um, let's just, uh, we'll, we'll, how would you prefer to do? You want to talk about the main event for us, Teddy, or you want to yeah, talk sure. about some of the undercards via quick, quick hitters? All right, let's hit the main event, and then we'll do some quick hits on a bunch of the other cards because there was a lot of good action on the card. But uh, in the main event... Slugfest, round four, stoppage for Jamal Hill. He gets the win over Thiago Santos. Um, man, these big guys, there's not a, lot of, not a lot of room for error at that light heavyweight. The guys are just athletic enough and big enough to really put a hurting on each other. And uh, this fight didn't have, uh, was no, no shortage of big shots landed. How'd you like it? I found it very interesting. Um, I like most of UFC fights because even if it's not scintillating action, there's always some kind of strategy chess game. Even if they're on the floor, most people want to see them standing, striking. But even if it's on the floor, I find it as floor chess where the, they have to make the right move. You put your hand in the wrong place and you're, you're in a lot of problem. You got a problem. Next thing you're in an arm lock or you're in whatever, one of these crazy locks that DC and, and Bisbane and... Joe Rogan describe magnificently to the to the audience and educate you as they're calling a fight, which is what color analysts are supposed to do. And so I always there's always something going on strategically, you know, mentally, guy being driven to a place he's never been driven to before. Physically, there's always something to overcome. So the first two rounds. Uh, I gave him to hell. Uh, but Santos, very strong, strong, big guy. Uh, he got the geography I talk about all the time, Ken, that he needed on the mat uh, in the third round. You know, the, the geography that he needed to put his best foot forward um, and to use his skills um, to the utmost, you know, um, his physicality. Uh, he... he 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 got that he um he got to the mat in the third round and by doing that he made the fight close uh and as i said more interesting and then hill reminded me a little bit and i i don't think i'm i don't know i i don't think i'm jumping the the i'm jumping a gun on this one to to go to somebody so magnificent but he reminded me a little bit of the great Adesanya, who I really like. We like. He's been on our show. But he's a special talent, and he's a champion, obviously, um, middleweight champion. But he reminded me a little bit of him with, with Adesanya's striking and his ability to defend and escape takedowns. Even though Santos was able to get some, he did. But he was still able to survive them and defend them. And so he reminded me of that because you got to be well-rounded in, in this sport. And when Hill, was, when Hill was tested and needed to step it up after the third round, uh, in that fourth round, uh, he answered the bell. He did uh, with explosive strikes. And once he heard, the, like I said, the very physically strong, tough Santos Ken, he was, uh, what's that old saying, like white on rice? I mean, <laughs> he was like on a guy like a cheap suit. He was yep. all over him, and he refused to allow him to recover. Impressive performance, and one that Hill needed to grow 
uh, to that next level in the UFC. I, I, I like him. I like him. I was, I was impressed. Yeah, great action. Um, let's jump down to, um, I think one of the other one of the undercards that you wanted to talk to, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Brian Battle gets a TKO uh, decision via. You kick know what in I want to do, Ken? I will go the order sure. you give me, but I want to do quick flash hits. Okay. On on most of them, all of them, because that card, there were ten fights, and ten of them didn't get to the end. <laughs> ten fights and ten stoppages. <laughs> That's quick stuff. That's explosive stuff. That means somewhere along the line there was sensational knockouts. So I want to just touch on each one really fast. But go ahead. Which one do we start with? So let's start out with the um, with the Brian Battle first round knockout via kick against Takashi Sato, the Japanese fighter. Brian Battle nine and one. Takashi Sato comes in at sixteen and five. Now sixteen and six. How'd you like that one? Wow. I mean, it was the KO of the night, maybe of the month, maybe of the of the year. Uh, it's it's up there with anything. Uh, wow, uh, he he throws battle, scores the knockout with the kick to Sato's uh, head, and he sets it up using a right hand first. Uh, by distracting his vision. So he shoots the right hand really as a throwaway punch. Uh, shows you the cerebralness in this sport. Yeah, you got to be strong. Yeah, you got to be fast. Yeah, you got to be tough. But you got to be smart too. They separate themselves as smart guys. And they stay around a little longer and, and stay obviously successful a little longer. But he shoots the right hand and then the kick right behind it. And Wow explosive sensational lights out yep that's that's a pretty good summation there next up let's um let's touch on the mckinsey um mckinsey gonzalez fight so that one terrence mckinsey rear naked choke first round submission over eric gonzalez mckinsey comes in 13 and 4 moves to 13 and 4 gonzalez drops to 14 and 7 um how'd you like it i loved it um again uh Quick, quick stuff, um, explosive stuff, smart stuff. Terrence McKenzie, he was tested in the first round with Gonzalez. And um, then he was impressive with his skills, both striking and grappling, jiu-jitsu, uh, getting the submission in that, in that one round. Uh, quick work, uh, really, really impressive, efficient, and explosive pretty much sums it up juliana miller moves to four and one against brogan walker who drops to eight and three uh third round knockout via elbows or tko um these girls can scrap teddy i feel like the female fighters get exponentially better literally week to week they're just so competitive but man juliana miller like i said moves gets her fourth win as a pro now four and one what'd you think one of the women fights, and uh, Miller, again, uh, to, you know, to back up what you said, was impressive with Walker. She gained, as I always talk about, Ken, she gained the geography she needed on the mat, and she also used her great timing to land some clean strikes. So she's, she showed me some, some well-roundedness uh, dimension. 
uh, impressive, impressive. Yeah, and like I said, the women seem to get better on, uh, as a whole. They just keep getting better and better and more technical proficiency. I We talked about this when Christy Martin was on. You know, back in the day, even the early days of boxing, early days of USC, the women's game looked very raw and undeveloped. And now those women get in there and, my God, they're like, <laughs> you can see them evolving so quickly. Christy Martin um, was a pioneer for that stuff. And um, that's why we had her on air. That's why she's in the Hall of Fame. You know, that's why she just wrote a book with with uh, another Hall of Fame of Ron Borges. And, uh, uh, I love Ron Borges. Yeah. Boston Globe legend. Of course you know him because he's from Boston. Now, <laughs> if he was from Milwaukee, you would, you'd be like, what? <laughs> huh? Huh? Who? <laughs> But Sazibi uh, was God forbid from Tampa. I know you don't like Tampa anymore because uh, oh, forget you it. feel you feel like you got something stolen from you. Something. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if he went from Boston to Tampa, you know, that's a huge downgrade for uh, athletes and writers to have to go down to that. Uh, you know, small I'm gonna I'm audience. gonna save you. Go ahead. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I look out for my friends and my partner. <laughs> Hey, uh, Kamaro Usman's brother's in action. I'm sure that that's a description. Muhammad Usman would love to shake. Everyone wants to be their own man. But he moves to 9-2 and two as a professional, scoring a second-round knockout via punches against Zach Poga, who drops to 6-1, and one, came in undefeated. But, um, man... These, uh, you know, I, I always tell the um, African fighters when they come on, Camaro, um, uh, Francis Ngannou, and Izzy Adesanya, the three-headed monster from Africa, Mohamed Usman uh, doing his part to keep the African uh, champs coming strong. So he, he, he gets the second-round knockout. How'd you like Mohamed Usman? This is what I start with on that one. You've heard me say it before, perfect, perfect situation to say it again. Punches are born. They are not made. You saw a guy who's just born. Right in the right in the likes of a Mike Tyson. Pick whoever you want to pick. Ernie Shavers with the right hand. Whatever. George Foreman. Whatever. I think one of the greatest was Joe Lewis, but his technique was so good too. He was a great finisher. But as far as pure power, wow. Born, not made. And that's Usman. Raw guy, work in progress. Um, he's a diamond in the rough. Needs to be polished. But wow. You know that like like in basketball, Ken, when a coach goes, wow. He like and why is he saying wow? Because he gets a guy like seven foot eight, <laughs> whatever. And he gets a guy he's seven foot. And the one thing he always says, size can't be taught. You know, I, I I, mean, you either have it or you don't. And it's the same thing here. Power can't be taught. Yeah, you can improve it by technique and landing cleaner and, you know, and all that and being able to deliver it uh, where you get every ounce of it. But either you have that kind of, you know, TNT, nitroglycerin uh, in your power or you don't. He has it. He has it. And again, he's a raw guy. But he's developing. My son, my son is Shopkin. He he says to me, Dad. He, you know, we know everyone knows that watched the show. He's a he's a he's a scout in the NFL. Fourteen years in the NFL uh, with the Browns. Started with 
the Jets uh, interning, then with the Browns for Mangini, and then with the Raiders for 13 years. And um, he he really knows football. I mean, he can pick apart anything on film or watching it. But he knows boxing, him and my daughter. I, they had no choice. I mean, what the frick? They, they didn't grow up around an ice cream maker. You know what I mean? So they, <laughs> they might not know much about Carvel, but they know about boxing. And right away, he texts me. He goes, Dad. He goes, this guy still don't even know how to turn the hook over. <laughs> he didn't even turn it over right. And, and look what he does. Can you imagine when he learns a little more? I said, yeah, it's uh, frightening, frightening. So, you know, along the lines of uh, the other guy, the heavyweight who just lost, uh, Lewis, what's, what's his name? I like him. He, Derek Lewis, he, the he, black beast. Yeah, the, the power, but but he doesn't, you know, he's, he's not developed in certain areas. He hasn't learned uh, the things kind of like Wilder in boxing, although he won a heavyweight title and made millions of dollars. Wilder didn't learn a lot either, but he could punch with the right hand. He learned enough to to land that. And, um, and of course, Lewis has had great success. He's got a great following uh, in the UFC. He's exciting. He can punch. He's got that natural punching power, but he's raw. He hasn't, he hasn't really developed or learned all the things. I don't know if it's him or the people around him or a combination, whatever, uh, that he just figures he don't need to learn. He just depends on his power. What do I got to learn for? I freaking hit a guy, they go away. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. But I believe that this guy, Usman, wants to learn. He is looking like he is learning. And that power, again, you don't see it too often. The one thing I want to add to it, uh, with the devastating knockout, was thank God. Thank God this referee acted quickly. Because these guys jump on you. Because they, they know how tough everyone is, and you got to keep going until the referee stops you. And Usman jumped on him. He was already out. Um, his opponent uh, was was uh, I'm trying to what was uh, his opponent was pa uh, Paga Paga how do you pronounce it? I want to make sure I'm saying it right Paga right uh, the, yeah I would call him Zach, Zach Paga Paga so yeah P A U G A uh, all right Paga Paga I just say Zach, um, Zach. I, I'm I'm being very safe the Zach attack and yeah Zach Zach got sacked. But um, but look, they're brave men. They get in there, and women, they get in there, and they're willing to face what they got to face. But they got to be protected because of the danger of their sport. And it's up to the referee in this case. And the referee did his job. He jumped in there. Zach Pago was out. Out from that punch. He hits the canvas out, and right behind him is this powerful, powerful Usman hitting him with a hammer fist. He did catch him one. He was out. He didn't need to catch, but he don't know. Usman don't know. He's just doing what he got to do. Uh, you know, make sure the guy don't get up. And he hits him with a hammer fist. And thank God, thank God, the referee stopped the next one. Because who knows what would have happened. And the reason why I'm touching on this, Ken, is because it reminds you how dangerous this sport is 
and how important it is to have the right people in place, in this case the referee, that can act quick enough, that are sharp enough, that are alert enough, that are in position enough to be able to get in there the instant the guy's out. The instant the guy's out, got to get in there. Just like when they submit them and, and these guys don't submit. They, they refuse, like the, like the fight well, a couple weeks ago uh, with Matt Schnell, with his opponent. And, and we have Matt Schnell coming up on a on an interview that people should really listen to That's it if right. they want to look. Speaking of that, Teddy, for the for everyone listening, please hang, please stick around. After this, we're gonna um, we're gonna add on our our conversation with Matt Schnell. You're gonna love it if you're a UFC you're gonna fan love it. or just a fan of combat sports. Like you want to hear this, what this guy has to say. His comeback victory was just 100%. incredible and just a super nice, humble guy. Stick around for that. That'll be right immediately following this episode. If you want to learn how these guys. Do what they do as far as refusing to submit. That they get themselves to a place where they refuse to be taken to the dungeon, to the furnace. They refuse. They will their way through it somehow. Then listen to this because he talks about it. You'll really enjoy it. Uh, Because it'll help you with your fight in whatever you're fighting, it doesn't have to be in a ring. Whatever you're fighting, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're trying to overcome, whatever you're trying not to submit to, it will help you in that way. But getting back to this fight, thank God the referee, he jumped in there and he minimized the damage. It's so important, Ken. Referees got to be like you. They got to be in shape. Seriously, I'm not joking. They got to be in condition they got to be, they got to, not that I don't like fat guys, because I was a fat guy not, you know, a few minutes ago, but <laughs> they, you want a guy that's in shape, that can move quick, that, that can get there before the next hammer fist comes when a guy is helpless. And that's what this referee did. Kudos to him. Kudos to Dana White, making sure that he's got the right referees there. So important. Uh, such a such a dangerous sport, such a great sport, but a sport where you need the right people there to look out for the fighter. So I, I can't wait to see the Zuzman fight again. Um, I like explosions. <laughs> I like explosions. I like the 4th of July when stuff blows up, and this Zuzman knows how to blow stuff up. Yep. And with that, let's get into the uh, co-main. Jeff Neal beats Vincente Luque. Uh, third round stoppage. Jeff Neal gets his second win in a row. You know, as we were, as I was preparing and just looking down the notes of the things that um, Rob mentioned that we wanted to discuss, I was looking at um, Jeff Neal's record. You know, we talked about some of the boxing records and some of them not necessarily being the most impressive, like the kid who's fighting Teofimo, no fights out of Mexico. Um, <laughs> looking at Jeff's Neal record, listen to this. He gets a knockout win over Mike Perry. Uh, five, uh, well, sorry, one year later, he gets a lot, he loses to Steven Wonderboy Thompson, dis- unanimous decision. Then he loses to Neil Magny, unanimous decision. Then he beats, uh, Ponzinibbio, and now he's in with Vince- Vincente Luque. I mean, that's like a, a murderer's row of the welterweight division. Okay, Mike Perry's not like a, you know, top tier guy, but you can rest assured you're going to have to kill him to get him out of there. He's going to fight till the death. Very experienced. And, uh, tough just experience no guy. soft touches. You know, you get, you never, oh, you're coming off a loss. Maybe we give him someone, get him back on the, uh, 
on a winning track. Yeah, okay, put him in with Vincente Luque. Not in the UFC. That's why <laughs> no, they have help. an audience they have. That's why they're successful. That's why they get TV ratings better than than uh, Top Rank and, and and Showtime and all those other places. Who they're you know they argue. Oh no, we get ready. Please, please, on your regular shows, you don't get nothing. You get diddly squat compared to what the UFC gets on a regular basis because the audience knows you're going to get competitive fights, and they also know in boxing you're not. Yeah, for the you know you're gonna get your good fight once in a while, and you're gonna get your, uh, you, you know you're gonna get the the carrot that's given to you every once in a while, the 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 bonus that uh, is the bone that is thrown <laughs> by the promoter to you every once in a while, the big fight, whatever. But you're gonna get yeah, a not, lot not, of not be not you're gonna Teddy, get a lot not of before crap. You pay eighty five or a hundred dollars for it. No, and you're gonna listen. That's true. And you, but you're gonna get a lot of their guys that they sign up that they build up for the first three years fighting nobody. I shouldn't say nobody because anyone who gets in the ring, there's somebody. But fighting very soft competition, very well-selected competition where they're not competitive fights. And you're going to get a lot of that for the first few years because that's what they do. They they sign the guys up, they build them up to a record, and then they they get to the big fight. So UFC doesn't do that. You got to earn your way. You truly got to earn your freaking keep. Yeah, you know, it's 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 Dana White's way or the highway. Now, look, does he make exceptions when he sees he's got a superstar coming up like like Patty and McGregor and all the guys? Yeah and, and no. And what do you mean, Teddy? They, they get a little better treatment sometimes. Listen, he's a businessman, Dana White. He's not stupid. Yeah, he understands to build those guys up. But there are no real layups. There are no real you know, easy uh, opponents, if you will. There's guys that are better, no doubt about it. But there's nobody that's really uh, a softy for the most part in the UFC. You're still, even in Patty's last fight, yeah, big favorite over there in the UK where he's he's selling out arenas, the, you know, the O2 arena, and, and they're making all kinds of money and everyone's going nuts over him. He still had a tough time in the first round, if I remember correctly. There, there are no, there are no just slam dunk layups for the most part in the UFC. You're going to fight somebody tough. And, <laughs> and, sure. and to your point, to your point, and again, to my point, that's why it's grown. That is why their product has grown uh, to the to the level that it's grown, and why they get the ratings they get. Getting to Neil, Neil and um and Luke, to break that down. The first thing I'm going to say was Neil was very explosive and impressive, knocking out. Again, the tough and experienced Luque, who has never been knocked out um, in his career. Uh, as far as I, I, I believe that's 100% accurate, Ken. Just check me on that, that, that I am accurate. I always depend on you and Rob just to make sure. But he knocks out a tough, experienced guy who's never been knocked out. So the first thing I say is, hey, Zero knockouts. Yeah. He's been submitted with some submission holds um, a few times, yeah, but so majority of his decisions. Yeah, he's yep. got a granite chin. And Neil goes and knocks him out. 
And Neil is definitely a guy to watch out for, for me. But now I got to say something about Luke, who's so tough, that this is the price you pay sooner or later, sooner or later. And it's no knock. I'm just pointing something out here. That's my job. Where you depend just on toughness, just on physicality, just on your chin. And that's great. But if you depend just on that, that's only got so much of a shelf life. It really does. There's an expiration date on that, Ken. For everybody. For everybody. One of my favorite fighters back in the 70s, the early 80s, you know, Danny uh, Little Red Lopez, when he got knocked out by the great Salvador Sanchez. I love Lopez. Tough guy, but he didn't move his head enough. Got hit, but he overcame it. He overcame knockdowns. He overcame punches. He overcame everything. And then he caught you with his big punch, the right hand. But not when he fought Salvador Sanchez. That was it. Because the guy was not just tough. He was smarter, more advanced, technically better. And that's the case with Neil and Luque. When, when you have a guy like Luque who is making his bones basically on just being tough, wearing guys out, out toughing guys. Again, I'll say it again. There's a shelf life on that. And it's just a matter of not if, but when you're going to run into a guy that that's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. And it wasn't enough. That's, that's, that's it. That's what happened. You got to love Luke. And, but I, you know, that's, that's how you have to, that, that's the answer to what took place there. And that's why you see certain guys that not only will they come up short when they run into that guy, you know, into their, into their whatever you want to call it, their poison if you want, whatever you want to call it. But the guy that, they're not just going to out tough. But their career is going to have a little bit of, a limit on it as far as the longevity of it because of the punishment they take to get there, to win, you know, to get it done, you know. And listen, I know not everyone can be a Floyd Mayweather. You know, there's a reason he could fight at 42, 43, 44, whatever, even though he's picking his spots very carefully. I, I understand. But it's because he doesn't take. He didn't take for the 20 years as a pro or 20 plus years, he didn't take punishment for the most part because of his, you know, technique, his style, his temperament, all of that. But, and not everyone wants to see that. That's not everybody's, you know, uh, that's not, you know, that's not what everybody, uh, taste buds really uh, react to. You know, not everybody wants to see the cutie. They want to see the, the Luque. They want to see the, the Arturo Gatti. They want to see the tough guy that's going to break you down, even though he's not as slick as you. Um, but again, there's a price to pay when that's your style. And Luque paid the price that night against a very talented, explosive, impressive Neil, who, as I said earlier, I want to see more of Jeff Neal. Yeah. 
Well, congrats to Jeff Neal. We'll keep an eye on him. He's definitely someone to look out for and a great win over a great uh, a great fighter in Luke. But uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, not necessarily from that um, from this weekend's action, but on Dana White's Contender Series, um, Charlie Campbell and Chris Duncan. Uh, first round fireworks would be an understatement. Um, we have Nat Matchnell comeback of the year, probably comeback of the year winner. And, uh, you know, not even a week later, we have another contender for that top spot and comeback of the year. Certainly one of the most dramatic Charlie Campbell basically comes out and hits him with hits. Chris Duncan with a tsunami of punches has him dropped hurts him. I mean, it looks like a one way beating just I mean, I mean, you saw it and we'll get into it, but he's just getting hit with everything but the kitchen sink. To use one of your phrases, it almost looked like Chris Duncan would be insulted if Charlie Campbell missed him with a shot at this point. He had him all sorts of hurt, all wobbly, and Chris Duncan fires off a straight right hand. I text to you and Rob, it reminds me of that sound where you hear a street fight, where you see and hear a guy punch another guy in the face, and it's like, oh my God, he's hurt. He, that guy's going to be hurt. I hope he's okay. He hit him with a right hand, dropped him, jumped on top of him, hit him with a couple other just absolute bombs, zero defense, straight down to the face. And, you know, when the guy's on the ground and his head has nowhere to go, when a punch hits him in right down the middle, whether it's in the mouth or the nose, it's just, you know, that much more magnified when the head doesn't have any room to give. So Chris Duncan scores the most dramatic one punch knockout comeback that I've seen in a long time. Um, what'd you think of that one? And uh, hopefully Rob can find a clip of that. I think ESPN has, uh, UFC has certainly sent it out via Twitter. So hopefully it's available for us to use as well. But my God, if you haven't seen this, please do yourself a favor and watch this comeback shot. What'd you think, Teddy? Yeah, it was incredible, sensational, sudden. You know, sudden, that's the word. Um, because he's, you know, he's getting plastered, you know, moved around the ring from post to post for the most part. And all of a sudden he lands this uh, this punch. I, I got to mention that I think it was Bisbane that was doing the commentating. I'm not sure. You would know better. But I thought it was Bisbane. Um, he was almost clairvoyant saying that. I'm listening to him and he's saying that Duncan wasn't out of it yet, even though he's getting plastered. Um, and he was right. That's good professional commentating. Whoever it was, I thought it was Bisbane. Uh, that's not just what we sometimes get too much of, Ken, which is just shilling uh, and, and cheerleading. So, Well, whether it was Bisbing or not, you can rest assured if they were calling the UFC fights, and again, we've got no reason to like kiss ass or like suck up to anyone. We just call it like we see it. If you're announcing for the UFC, those guys are top of class. They always call it down the middle. And look, I know they have a special arrangement, right? They have they own the whole promotion, so they have no vested interest per se in promoting one guy more than the other so it's a bit no, it's of a true. bad comparison but, but, but it, it is what it is but it also is because they know what they're watching they're experiencing that you know in that realm uh where a lot of 100%. guys in boxing quite frankly i gotta be honest they used to be a writer they used to be a a fan they used to be a guy selling the pretzels in the in the upper deck uh they used to be uh, i don't know <laughs> uh, i don't know ken but i mean you got the ones that will fight us beautiful but some of these other ones oh oh my goodness i mean and they're telling you things and i'm scratching my head like <laughs> what the freak are they talking about and <laughs> uh, and then i realize i say well how would they know 
They, they didn't make a living in this business. They didn't do it. They didn't fight. They didn't train somebody. They didn't, you know, so how, how would they? I mean, and, and it could be annoying because I don't look at any other sport where they put those people in those seats. You know, when I'm watching the Super Bowl, I don't, I, you know, I don't see a guy showing you the line blocking and breaking down the X's and O's of how the tackle pulls and the guard moves out of the end and they do a trap block. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't see some guy that you know was was selling ices in the stadium or or was uh, just doing writing that that's doing that. I see a coach, an ex coach. I, I I see an ex player. So I don't know. I think they disrespect the fans, the executives in these networks. Sometimes I don't think they pay attention. They don't care. They don't know. But they put some of these people in position that shouldn't be in those positions to tell the story and to tell you what you're supposed to be getting told uh, that's going on. But as far as uh, Campbell and Duncan, Duncan was incredible. Uh, incredible comeback. A little different than Matt Schnell, who's we're going to have coming up after this, uh, who was incredible, but for a different reason. Schnell was in a position where he's getting hit elbow after elbow, punch after punch clean for a a certain period of time, which was incredible. Incredible. For a little prolonged period of time, and he found a way somehow to overcome it. Duncan was incredible too. But here's the difference, Ken, because I looked at it, and I looked at it with my trainer's eye. He was able, while he was getting... Uh, stumbled around, pushed around the ring, shellacked around the ring a little bit. It was a little misleading in a way that, and to his credit, a lot of those punches were missing. They were blocked. They were missing. He was hurt. But as he was trying to survive, like like a, like a drunk getting out of a bar, trying to get to his car, and he's stumbling all over the place, right? As he's stumbling because he'd been hurt already, because we didn't see the early part. They only showed the part we saw. As he's stumbling around, a lot of those punches, he's moving his head, blocking just a little bit, almost like intuitively, and the guy's missing. Maybe the guy's rushing the punches a little bit, the guy being Campbell, he's rushing them, whatever. But they're not all landing. See, with Schnell, they were all landing. They're not all landing, and that's why he was able to survive to the point where he could come back with that right hand. That's important. Where... He was able to survive, and then the, he, he's still there, he's still, and then finally gets hit a real clean punch. That was clean, the uppercut. Wow. That drops him, and that, is a, that was a bomb. But then the follow-up missed, and that was the key. It missed. And then what does he do? He knows, he knows that... Yes, just a reminder, Teddy Atlas does have a fax machine. Yes, <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he is a caveman, and yes, he's proud of it. Um, he's a stalwart. He, he's, hang, he's, he's not giving in. I'm not submitting. These <laughs> fighters don't submit. I'm not submitting to technology. I'm not giving in. I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to be the last of the Mohegans, or one of them. So anyway... He gets hit that uppercut. The follow-up misses. And now he knows. It's now or never. 
but he knows he he's able to keep his calm and his wits about him. I talk about these special fighters. What makes them special, not only their chin, that they can take that in their will, that they make themselves stay there and they refuse to go down that corridor that takes them to a dark room, that they fight tooth and nail to go towards the light, not to be dragged down to that dark place where they're not coming back, to the abyss. And, and, I, and I use this moment for life again. You people out there that are fighting your fight, you're being dragged down that, that dark corridor, you know, to the abyss. Don't don't go there. It's your really, I know it's tough, but it's still your choice. Don't give in. Stay, go towards the light. As tough as it is, go towards the light. Go towards the light. So here's here they are with this great will and great chin. But not only that. They're able to stay calm in an uncalm environment with all the fire going around them. They're able to stay calm and keep their wits and be able to have the capacity to think, to think, not just survive, but to think, how can I pull this out? And that's what was impressive, beyond impressive about Duncan that I saw, that I appreciated that I said I'm going to make sure we I point this out, that he keeps himself together after getting dropped that uppercut and everything else that happened that round, and he thinks, and what does he do? Well, when he gets hit the uppercut, he falls in close, grabs the guy's legs, because instinctively he knew if I get close to the guy, he can't hit me. Not away from him. A lot of people would say, oh, let me get away from the thing that just hurt me. Then you would get hit again. So he understood instinctively, get close to it so he can't throw. So he gets close, he grabs his legs, he holds on to his legs, he pulls himself up, and he's thinking clear in an unclear environment, and he sets himself. He centers himself, he gets his legs strong underneath him, and he throws one straight as hell, straight as an arrow, straight right hand, and he pulls himself out of the fire with a clean right hand that knocks him out. And then he jumps right on him and doesn't let him recover because after going through that, he wasn't going to let him recover. So, But here's the key again. He sets himself, after all that damage that was done, he sets himself, he thinks clear, and he knows, he assesses the situation. He knows his environment. He says to himself, I know that the guys might get careless because he's got me hurt. He's going to be coming in for the kill. He's going to come in for the finish. And there's going to be a moment of recklessness. This is my moment. This is my chance. I got to make good on it. I got to make good on it. And he made good on it. He sets his feet. At the right time, he throws that right hand straight straighter than the other guy and he hits him right on the chin beats him to the punch and he he pulls out like a miracle like a miracle win you know suddenly just like that uh, it was great but there was a lot behind it and and that's what was behind it for me it was tremendous 
I'm glad you sent it. I'm glad you when sent I it. When I saw it, I thought that your reaction would be like, wow, there's a whole novel written in one in one round. Like you could tell a story about this thing and, and literally take like chapters to read to write about it, just all the nuances involved. Staying in the fire while the flames are surrounding him and figuring out a way to calmly put some of the fires out slowly or all at once. And it was just it was beautiful. It's oh, one, you're right. I'm glad you why. sent it because that was great that you sent it because it's like I always say when I, the Ward, Mickey Ward and Arturo Gatti, Castillo, and, and Corrales, their, Corrales, their first fights. Their first, they fought others, but their first fights. And, and I remember when, I, when it first happened, I was the first one to say, and to use that description, to say, this fight, the first one was Mickey Ward fight uh, with, with uh, Arturo. This fight is like, it's like reading a novel. With, with with just chapter after chapter of different things that they have to go through uh, in their life. And they're doing it right in front of you. You know, uh, if it's a 12-round fight, there's 12 chapters. If it's a 10-round fight, it's 10 chapters. But it's one, you're, you're reading an entire book of somebody's life. Watching exactly. these fights, yep. it was. But anyway, this was extraordinary, Ken. Um, I want to make sure I thank you for sending that to me, so we can share it with the audience. And I want my audience, our audience, we love you. I think we're at two hundred sixty-eight thousand subscribers, maybe a little more. But it's got to get bigger because I'm going south. If it doesn't get to a million, I'm going south. I know Ken's going <laughs> to cry. He's sensitive. Uh, he'll start crying. But uh, I'm going. we got to get up there. I see other people up there. I, I just feel that yeah, we're we gonna, can we'll get tell up you, We're going to have some kind of incentive program coming up to see if we can't get a boost in these um, subscribers. I mean, they're good. Don't uh, get me wrong. But of course. Uh, they're very good. And we, we just passed 50 million views. So listen, we're proud of of what we're doing, proud of you guys, thankful to you guys uh, for for being here with us. But I wanted to get bigger. I wanted to get bigger. I I think it. I think that it deserves to get bigger, um, if for nothing else because uh, Ken's so handsome. Um, so I I think it deserves to get bigger. But we we want to we want to just keep keep growing it, baby. Keep growing it. And everyone everyone should have a friend like Teddy Atlas. And, uh, you know, a lot of people misinterpret friendship as just like uh, being nice to each other when, th when it's easy. But the truth is being a friend is uh, you get tested constantly when you have really close friends because we all go through a lot of adversity and ups and downs in life. And it's important to know who you can really count on because it's very easy to be someone's friend when they're on top and they're winning and everything's good and you can just blow smoke up their ass and yeah good for you congrats on the win but it's who calls when you lose to tell you hey if winning was easy everyone would do it and it wouldn't be worth as much as it is because you know but anyway point is everyone should have a friend like teddy that's there for you even when times aren't good but it's important to recognize that comes with responsibility as well you're also going to be counted on to be a friend when things aren't good and uh no one's going to remind you it's kind of like one of these uh <laughs> one of these uh mysteries of life where you don't get tested you just the truth reveals itself whether you know it or not and uh 
Yeah, I appreciate your friendship, Teddy, and always all the kind words mean so much. Although now you've got people really believing I have Ferraris and a mansion. And uh, while it's funny, I hate to disappoint them when they see me. Nevertheless. What he does have, what he does have is a good heart uh, and a great family and a, and a great soul. And, and I'll leave it at this, where you guys out there, our great audience that I just finished talking about, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing as I'm getting ready to say this because I say things tongue-in-cheek with a little seriousness to them, but I think people understand. But be, be kind to my friend because he brought you that appreciate him he's more than just a guy who can run a marathon and is handsome and is in good shape uh especially for 50 plus um even though we joke about his age i don't know really how old he is i never saw a person 51 i don't know i don't know <laughs> i'm not sure he takes so many of these important supplements who knows he, he he could he could be 84 and and he'd still look great because of all this stuff just don't turn the lights out because he might turn he might start glowing a little bit but uh, <laughs> oh, don't teddy no, don't no, say that no, no people are no, going to be telling no, no, me performance answers and listen shit. it's not peds it's natural stuff now you <laughs> can glow you can glow you, win a you big can race, glow you get because you have the light of goodness you have the light of health you have the oh, light of of natural stuff and you can still glow in the dark uh, I'm not talking about, you know, Mexican beef and, and <laughs> that kind of stuff, all right? We're not talking about that. But yeah, what I'm saying is he if it's give him a give him a thank. He's my friend. Give him a little extra thank. I know you do. I know you appreciate him. I I know that. Uh he hears it, but give him an extra thank. He brings some of this stuff to you. Like I just talked about with Campbell and Duncan. He doesn't alert me to it. Guess what? We're not talking about it. And I think that it was good to talk about it because I think that it can relate to some of your fights and struggles. And as I said when I started this thing, when we started, uh, and Ken asked me, what do you expect out of this podcast? I expect to, I expect to connect the dots in life from fighting to your particular fight in life. Uh, that's what I'm looking. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna call the fights. Yeah, I'm gonna break it down for you. UFC and boxing turned out we got into UFC. Thank God. I'm very grateful we did uh, for the audience and for the sport, uh, and and the the privilege of being able to talk about it and the respect that I've gained for the fighters in this sport, not just my sport of boxing, but Ken brings you. He, you know, he bothers me. He'll call me in the middle of the night and say, hey, Ted, uh, how about this one? Can we talk about this one? So, guys, you know, give him, give him a little bit of that extra love. That's it. Okay. Um, we got one more, I think, with that, which is I hope you didn't eat lunch because <laughs> if, when you guys see this, Ken brought it to me, and when you guys see it, I got to tell you, it awakened the memory in me. People are going to go, come on, Teddy, what memory? But Ken's going to set it up, and I'm telling you, if you have a queasy stomach, turn away. Turn away. All right, Teddy, before I do that, though, one quick thing that you reminded me when you were talking about the fans being nice, we were um, talking about some of the comments on YouTube the other day, and one of the comments someone called, someone said, Ken is a casual, as if it was an insult to me, but l let me just address that real quick. 
Yeah, I'm a casual fan. I don't make a living watching boxing or getting paid to analyze or train fighters. So I would argue, unless you make a living in the sport, you're a casual fan. And if you're not a casual fan and you don't get paid, you need to find a new hobby, dude. You're a hardcore. Like, how, how much more of a fan can you be other than a casual fan? A super fan implying that there's nothing else. Like, I have a family and four kids and a job. Yeah, I'd love to make a living in boxing. So if they want to, if someone wants to pay me to Perry pursue with what I earn in finance, I'd love to be a full-time boxing analyst and get paid to do it. I don't have the experience and I never profess to be a boxing insider or anything other than a casual fan, just like the knucklehead who sent me that message. Because if you weren't, we'd know who you are because you'd be employed in the sport of boxing. So calling me a casual fan is an accurate description, but it's said as an insult and you sound stupid. So please don't describe other people as casual fans unless you're in the business. And if you are in the business, you shouldn't insult the fans because they pay your bills. Nevertheless, All right, now, wait, into- no, I got to jump on that. Okay. Um, see guys, he is sensitive. See what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Now you understand why I went down that rabbit hole. Okay. That's that. Okay. All right. That's, that's number one. <laughs> number two, do you guys understand who actually labeled Ken and used the term at the very beginning fan? It was me. You know why? Because that's exactly why he's here and what he is. First of all, he's here because I happen to trust him and, and, think he's a decent person otherwise he wouldn't be here but he's here because he's a fan he represents you guys he <laughs> i actually said that one time and i couldn't have been more on the button he represents you i need somebody with me that represents you the fan that that sees things the way you the fan seizing that asks questions the way you, the fan, would ask them. So if you knock him, you're knocking yourself. That's it. Anyway. Um, I'd also say to that guy, how many um, world title fights have you been involved in in any capacity? I was lucky enough to help Teddy with the fight with Alex Vosdick and was in the corner during that fight. So when you're trying to insult me, at least be like accurate with what you're what you're trying to describe. Let's talk about this broken nose, Teddy, because this is what crazy, when I crazy, sent it to you, crazy. When I, when I crazy. sent this picture to you and Rob, I sent it with the quote. So you want to be a UFC fighter, huh? And then the picture of this guy's nose. It was, um, first of all, Uriah Faber, credit to him. He's a new promoter, UFC Hall of Famer. He put on a show under the uh, banner of A1 Combat Fighting, you know, kind of a developmental league. There's a lot of them around the country. Um, you know, obviously the UFC gets all the headlines. But uh, A1 Combat Fighting, Uriah, Uriah Faber, congratulations on putting on a great event. Um, they had a fight between two unbeaten up-and-coming prospects, Blake Perry, and Marcel McCain. Midway through the first round, McCain drags down the head of Perry, lands a heavy knee that immediately essentially obliterated the nose of Perry. And uh, I'm sure Rob will figure out a way to get this picture in here. But if you can just imagine if someone takes your nose, turns it sideways essentially and sticks it back on your face, then you pretty much have an exa- have an idea of what Perry's nose looked like. What'd you think of that picture, Teddy? And have you ever seen a worse broken nose? I can't imagine someone uh, short of the nose coming completely off his face. I can't imagine it being in a worse position than it's in in this picture. Now I've never seen worse, but I've seen something close. But um, I, I've been involved with something close actually, and I'm going to tell the story uh, again. I I hope you didn't just eat, but um, because this picture can it can get to you your belly a little bit 
Um, it's a reminder of how dangerous the sport, how real the sport is, um, you know, how physical the sport is, um, how difficult the sport, and why Teddy Atlas always says, pay them, pay them. You can't pay these guys, all the guys in my sport, boxers, too much money. You can't, uh, because they deserve every cent. Because when they get in that ring, as I often said, now other people kind of piggyback off, it's okay. But what I often used to say, at ringside, that you get in that ring and you leave with less of yourself than you came in there with. In this case, you leave with your part of yourself in a different place. <laughs> uh, you still got it, but it's in a different place. So it reminds me, I was there. I'm going back 44 years. Ken has no idea when he sent me this, the memories that it, it woke up in me. 44 years ago, I'm training young fighters up in Catskill. I'm a, I'm a young trainer. I guess, I don't know, I'm 20-something years old. Uh, and I'm developing this, I'm developing this stable of fighters in Catskill, New York. And I'm living up there for almost eight years. Uh, gave up, left. Sat down, went up there to be a fighter, wound up being a trainer when I had an injury, couldn't fight no more. Cuss talked me into saying I, I could be a, a, a good trainer. And when you train the fighters, I'm training them up there, you get to a point where they have to get experience. Ken was touching on it earlier, actually, very well put, that you know you, you, you have to, you can't do certain things no matter how you practice, no matter how you, you, you know, your time you put into it, you have to go out there then and do whatever it is. Because uh, used to say, if you're a doctor, you're a surgeon, you got to do surgeries <laughs> at some point, right? If you're a lawyer, you got to do trials. You got to do cases in the courtroom at a certain point. If you're a teacher, you got to go in a classroom. You got to teach. It's not enough just to go to school and learn what you have to learn in a book. So I'm taking these kids to get fights after I taught them for months and months and months. And there wasn't enough action up in Catskill. So I used to take them down to the South Bronx, tough area where there were smokers back in those days, non-sanctioned fights where you could get experience with these kids in areas that were bombed out and quite frankly, the only good thing going on was the fight and that night in the Apollo Boxing Club or the Jerome Boxing Club on Westchester Avenue, where God bless him, he's gone now. Nelson, Cuev Nelson Cuevas, my buddy, uh, was the proprietor. He was the former fighter, and uh, he, he was the owner of the place. And they would have these smokers. You had to walk up three flights <laughs> of steps. My kids grew up. My kids grew up in a hurry. I took them all the way two and a half hours from Catskill. And they go upstairs, they go up, then one flight, and you hear something, then you go up the next flight, you, you, you hear something else, you have more noise. Then you get to the third flight, you open up, and there it is. And you have to salsa music blasting in there. You even have four-foot bongo drums. A whole different world, a whole different examples of different culture, beautiful cultures. And you go in there, and my kids, they're petrified. <laughs> they're, they're scared to death, but I'm looking out for them. But, scared. but this is the, they want to be fighters. So you want to be a fighter. Like Ken said earlier, that's what he sent to me when he sent that picture of the broken nose. It was, it was so apropos. 
And he, he wrote on it, so you want to be a fighter. <laughs> you want to be a UFC fighter. So you got to go through, you know, the, the things you got to go through. And we take him up there, and I get up there, and I, we, we make the fights, and, you know, you make the matches. And there's, there's no, again, I, I tell the truth. Some people say, but Teddy, there was no doctors there. No, the main doctor was God. He must have been watching out for us. But I became the doctor. Not because I lived in a, because I slept in a Holiday Inn the night before. But because, <laughs> but before. That'd be good if you had to stitch someone up. Teddy, do you know how to give stitches? No, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn. But I Inn. did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. But my father was a doctor. So I was the closest thing to a doctor. And these people were poor. These people, they there were no HMOs back there. There was no, they, they didn't have, there was no insurance. There was, they, Teddy, I love that rationale, though. I wasn't a doctor, but my dad was a doctor, so I was the closest I thing. I was the closest thing. <laughs> so I, so you're it. You know, when you play tag, you're it. I was it. I was it. I was the doctor. And Nelson Corbett said, you're the doctor. So now my fighter fights. And it's, they're, they're all, it's like the UFC. You ain't in no easy fights in the in the Bronx, uh, in smokers. They're tough fights. They're well matched. Well matched. So here we are. My kid Rodney Young. He used to live in Alaska recently. I don't know if he's still there, but if he's listening to the podcast, uh, yeah, I'm talking about you. And yeah, I was proud of you, uh, very much. So he's about 15 years old, and he's in this tough fight. Tough fight. And they're going back and forth, and he's bleeding. And I gotta, I'm doing everything I can to stop the bleeding in his nose. I'm putting pressure. It's very hard to stop bleeding in the nose like that. Obviously, I don't have the things that I had in the pros where you use adrenaline, you use all that kind of stuff. Um, but he gets through the fight. Uh, he comes on in the third round. It was a real, real tough fight. He comes on. And it's a war. And he wins the fight. And the fight's over. And now I'm busy looking out for all my kids. So, you know, I'm busy. I wipe them down and get rid of all the blood, everything. And um, when all the fight's over, I used to get all my kids a hot dog. Hot dog and a soda before we left. So we're getting together. We're getting everybody ready to, to get make that long trip back up to Catskill. And Ken, just like this, I look at him and I, I'm like, I, I do a double take. I said, Rodney, you okay? And he goes, yeah, Teddy, why? I'm staring at him. His nose is not where it was when we got there. <laughs> it's not where it was. And I'm looking at him. And I don't want to shock him because obviously he hasn't looked in the mirror. And and I'm like, <laughs> um, yeah, you feel good. You feel right. Yeah, Ted, why? What's the matter? I said, hold on a minute. And instinctively, intuitively, some people are going to say recklessly, just because I was the doctor's son, whatever. Maybe I, maybe there is something about being a doctor's son. Things I saw, things I picked up, whatever. I take my thumbs and I put them on either side of the nose, Ken. And his nose is way over on, if I remember correctly, on the right side of his face, my left. And it's pretty far over. I put my fingers on my two thumbs on either side of it. And I move it. 
and it clicks back into place and it makes a noise <laughs> and it goes into place he started they trusted me so much these kids beautiful kids he he just startled for a second he went oh oh and it, you know it didn't hurt him and um i said how you feel he goes good all right here take this hot dog take this soda sit down and now i'm worried i think i did the right thing but ken like i said other than being a son of a doctor that's about the extent of my medical career okay that's about as far as i went in medical school so now i go down the stairs and there were phone booths in those days for a dime i go across the street to mr santos's bar mr santos was the father of one of the fighters i had from the bronx that moved up to catskill <laughs> mr santos and his bar was important because when we would park there on a Saturday night, I would let him know we were there and Mr. Santos and his guys would watch my car to make sure when we came <laughs> back there was a battery in it. <laughs> so I go across the street, I go into Mr. Santos. Hey, Teddy. I, hey, Mr. Santos. I go into the phone booth. I put a diamond and who do I call? A real doctor. Dr. Atlas. The real Dr. Atlas. Not the one who slept in a, in a Holiday Inn. I call him up. I said, Dad, hey, hey, how you doing? I said, good, Dad. I, I'm down in the Bronx. How'd the kids do? I said, no, they did good. They, I think we, we had like nine kids fight. We won like seven of nine. Oh, that's good. I had a, yeah. Listen, Dad, um, I had a situation. Oh, what is it? Well, the kid was in a tough fight. And I rec there was a lot of blood, and I was trying to stop the blood. And we got and afterwards, not into after the fight was over, and later on, I looked, and his nose was on the wrong side of his face, was on the <laughs> side of his face. He said, "All right," uh, and you know he doesn't. Doctor Atlas doesn't get like shocked. I mean, you know, I'm in the boxing business. You know, he's not like, "Oh my God!" So he goes, "Yeah." So I said, "So Dad, I I put my thumbs on either side of the nose, and I." I moved it and it clicked into place. He goes, good job, good job, good. He should be fine. So now I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're responsible. You care about these kids. I'm now want really extra insurance that I did the right thing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm second guessing myself. So I said, dad, I was thinking maybe I should take him to the emergency room, you know, up here just to be, you know, just to be safe. He screamed at me, Ken scream my father said don't you dare they're just gonna charge you 75 dollars for what you already did and you did it better than they did it he said don't my father was adverse to what some of these hospitals forget it. if he was around god bless him he was around today forget it he he really would lose his mind he but he was very adverse to these to these doctors he thought charging too much to emergency rooms. Some of these people he knew that didn't have money. That's why he took care of them for free. He knew they didn't have coverage. They didn't have money. And it would bother him what they would charge for different things. So when I said that, it got him crazy. So I said, all right. He goes, don't you dare take them. I said, I won't. He said, when you go upstairs, 
He said he had a deviated septum. So I said, how do you know? He goes, because he's a fighter. He goes, everyone has a deviated septum. You have a deviated septum. He goes, of course he has a deviated septum. So he said, go upstairs and ask him to breathe through each canal, each passageway in the nose, and ask him if it's clearer. I guarantee you it's clearer, and then you you can take credit for having fixed his deviated septum, <laughs> where where he's breathing clearer. <laughs> so I go upstairs. I go, hey Rodney, how you? He he finished his hot dog. I said, hey Rodney, how you doing? Yeah, good, Ted. Uh, hey, uh, how how you breathing? He goes, I'm all right. I said, I said, no, your nose. I said, breathe through your nose, um, you know, each side. So he puts a finger on one side, he breathes. He puts a finger on the other side, he breathes. He goes, it's better. <laughs> he goes, it's, it's clearer than it was, Ted. How did how'd that happen? I said, all right, um, don't try it at home. Something you don't want to try at home. Uh, so that's my story. That's the story. Hope you guys enjoyed the story. And um, that's what you brought me to, Ken, when, when you sent me that the one you sent me is worse it's worse but <laughs> it's worse i gotta say it's 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 worse but i um if i was a, i don't know if i would have put my fingers on the side of his nose and try to move his back in place you'd be, the, you'd be moving a mountain with that nose you guys should definitely check it out and i know rob will get a picture up there of it but definitely worth looking at scary scary injuries but with that teddy i want to say thank you to the fans for being with us this week i'd appreciate it and we would appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the um, youtube channel if you're looking or leave us a review on apple wherever you listen to podcasts i know it sounds uh petty but those little things add up and they mean a lot to us and they mean a lot to the metrics that we use to um you know, try and offset some of the expenses we incur with the show. So anything you can do to help us out, greatly appreciate it. Support the sponsors, Athletic Greens, and feel free today. And uh, with that, Teddy, you got anything else before we say goodbye? And a reminder, please stick around. Matt Schnell interview coming up. You're going to want to see it if you're a combat sports fan. Um, you got anything else, Teddy? No, I'm excited. You know why? Because um, my son, my son is flying home for a few days. Uh, I have, we don't see him enough in Vegas. He's coming home with our grandson and his wife. He'll be here for at least a week, I think. Um, I, I might, I might hide his return plane tickets so they can't go back. I don't know. But, uh, I'm excited they're coming here, uh, for the week. And, uh, you know, I just, um, I also, I also just, Normally I wouldn't do this, but being that I just talked about my son, it made me think about why he's coming here, um, which, you know, we're, we're very blessed to have him come anytime he comes. But uh, we lost uh, somebody very close to us, uh, my son-in-law's mom, Susan, and uh, we just lost her. She had a battle with cancer that she's been battling. You talk about fighters, let me tell you something. She's been <laughs> she's been battling like uh like Joe Frazier uh for the last year uh battling uh cancer and uh you know she finally she didn't succumb to it but uh 
because time just ran out, put it this way, because when you have the kind of heart that certain people have and that she has, uh, you don't you don't submit to it. It just time does run out on you. And that's exactly the right way to say it. So we we've just uh we're heartbroken that we lost her. As I said, it's my daughter's mother in law, my, my son in law's mom. Uh and so him and his brother Michael uh we'll be with them obviously uh with her uh saying goodbye to her this week. But uh I just you know, I guess I'll leave it with everybody out there. You know this already. You don't need Teddy Atlas to tell you this, but uh go hug whoever whoever you hold dear, whoever you love, you know, go give them a hug. Uh if you haven't told them you love them, uh it's probably a good idea. Any time is good. <laughs> There's no time that's bad to just out of nowhere. It doesn't have to be a birthday. It don't have to be a holiday to just say, hey, I love you. And with that, uh, I would say thank you, Ken. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, my family. Thank you, the fans out there uh, for giving us this opportunity to talk to you guys and spend this kind of time. Yep, all of our condolences to the Atlas family and Jeff's family as well. Thank you guys for being with us. We'll be back next week with a full breakdown of all the action, including the Tiafimo Lopez fight. And now stick around for a great conversation with Matt Schnell. Today's very special guest, the comeback kid, Matt Schnell. Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's an honor. Hey, Matt, it's, it's our pleasure to have you. And uh, just like Ken just said, I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Thank you to the Diamond Dustin Poirier for making this introduction to his fellow Louisiana uh, badass. Uh, I was at that fight in Long Island, Matt, and my God, what a comeback. What a comeback. It was just unbelievable. Words don't do it justice. But with that, I'm going to let the legend Teddy Atlas jump in and kick things off and talk about the performance because it was it was. The, the kind of things, the kind of a performance that keep people coming back to the sport. And uh, we appreciate well, you. It was, first of all, um, as Ken just said, we appreciate that Dustin was able to set this up. And um, he obviously heard me talking about this as one of the greatest comebacks I've ever seen. And that's in good company, Matt, because in my sport, in boxing, I mean, I don't know if you've seen these fights, but... Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward, their first fight was one of the, it was an incredible comeback. Uh, Corrales and Castillo, their first fight, that was an incredible comeback, incredible fight. And it's almost like reading a novel. I mean, you're reading chapters of somebody's life, you know, within minutes of a fight. And you're watching them go through the things they're going through to figure out a way how they're going to get back. And I just, for me, I want the fans to somehow get some kind of appreciation or, or explanation, if you will, of how a person like you, obviously you're trained different than an average person. You're trained to be able to deal with, you know, punches and kicks and elbows and everything else and that's what makes your comeback even more extraordinary than the ones i just mentioned which are extraordinary 
because you're getting hit, you're getting hit. But you're getting hit with four ounce gloves, almost bare fists. You're getting hit with elbows, bone to bone. And you get to a point in that second round where you've been hurt, you've been dropped, and you continue to come back. And obviously you don't give in. Where are you? Just for the audience, and I can't think of a better place to start. Where are you physically, mentally, consciously to explain to the people how you're keeping yourself not only on your feet, but keeping yourself conscious without going into an unconscious state? Well, first and foremost, thank you, Teddy. Again, it's it's such an honor to be here, such a privilege, and I appreciate Poirier for for making this connection. Poirier is my boy. Um, yeah, I, I think it all comes down to obviously I was in excellent shape. We prepared for this fight. We had a full eight week camp, and I took it very seriously. And I've I've been able to stack a bunch of camps uh, together here in a row. And throughout the last three or four camps, we have been working on fundamentals. Uh, foot positioning, just positioning in general. And uh, I've, I've got to give credit where credit's due. I think it comes down to my fundamentals, my, my footwork, my understanding of uh, how, to, how to keep my, my feet under me, underneath me and, and even just having instincts. And at, at times, I think there, there were times in the fights where he would shut me off and hurt me. I would stumble and he would throw, he would throw threatening offense and I would move off and make stuff miss. At, at that point, it's, it's just training. And I've been at this for a long time. I'm honored that I had the privilege to go out there on ABC and, and put on a performance, though I would have liked to have gotten it done much more seamlessly. Uh, but, yeah, what, 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 uh, what an incredible night that was. Um, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, it, it, it you know, goes back again to my training, my coaching, me being in shape, and, and even uh, my upbringing and, and who I am as a person. Talk about job bringing because you just see. I, I go to those places. I, my, I perk up when I hear that because I think people are formed outside the gym, not only in the gym, but outside the gym as human beings, as people of whatever it is that they've been through in their upbringing has already formed them already to an extent that will help them become a fighter or or actually deter them from ever becoming that level of a fighter just from the things they've gone through in life. Uh, some guys are more prone to being tough and being able to overcome things and have those abilities because of their upbringing, because of the things they went through before they ever started taking up combat sports, because of the way they were formed with that upbringing, the things maybe they were faced with in their upbringing, the disciplines in their life, whatever. Can you, you brought it up. I want to hear more about that. Can you touch on that? Yeah, I mean, um, my, my parents divorced when I was five. My father was always in my life, uh, and it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a bad setup. I would go and see him often. But I think uh, both my, mo my mother and my father, they just always held me to a standard. And uh, no matter what I was doing, they, they expected me to uh, see it through to completion and I wasn't, you know, coming up, I, th I think everybody figures guys like me who make it to the highest level, maybe they were like special athletes coming up. But I really wasn't, if I'm being honest. And I did play team sports and I, I tried really hard. 
And I think that's, you know, been a part of my success as a fighter. I've always kind of had a chip on my shoulder because uh, I wasn't a bad athlete, but maybe I just didn't get the opportunities that I thought I, uh, that I thought I deserved. So, um, but yeah, uh, I was the youngest of three. I had a older brother and an older sister who were both incredibly uh, brilliant and talented in their own right. And, and they were vicious and I had to contend with them constantly. So I think there's something to being the youngest uh, as well. And it, uh, you know, made me tough, made me tough. I've, toughness has always been something that uh, I've had. You know, Evander Holyfield, obviously, you know who he is, the great champion, the great warrior um, in boxing. He, he would talk about, how important his mother was into him being her, you know, the warrior that he became, the fighter that he became, that that she always made him be accountable. If he did something wrong, there was a price to pay. He had to face it. In other words, he couldn't hide it. I think the greatest fighters, as far as toughness in those mental areas, are the ones that can face things better than someone else. And you need practice at that. You know, we understand you need practice at throwing punches, hitting the bag, using a jab, throwing kicks, but you need practice at behavior, at, at behavior. We, you need practice at those things. People forget that sometimes. Practice at living up to your responsibility, at facing things, you know, being accountable, um, being prepared not to hide from something, but to deal with something. And he always said, Holyfield always said, he said, my mother, if I did something Man, she she told me, meet me out in the back. There's a little shed out there, and there's these things called, you, you're from a southern sort of area, you know, you understand that. They called them twitches. Uh, what what do they call them? Uh, there it switch. is. A switch, a switch. And see, you. I knew I was talking to the right guy as soon as I, you know, you're from Louisiana. And, and she would... She would say, "Okay, I'm taking this switch." She had different, she had different size switches. Which one he was gonna, you know, get taken to his uh, backside on that particular day for what he did, and again, because he had to be accountable, he had to face. Was some of that in your life that uh, that you're touching on a little bit that you just had to, your parents, your mother, whoever made you face things to a level that are. Uh, you know, made you stronger and ready for what was going to be in front of you in the MMA world? Yeah, I think so. My, my mother, uh, God rest her soul, she, she passed in March. And uh, Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. She was a wonderful woman, though. She always did hold me accountable. But more than anything, she, she just encouraged me and believed in me. And that was something that I kind of struggled with. And, and continue to kind of struggle with. And I think you're absolutely right in saying you have to, you kind of have to learn how to take these L's and how to, how to face them in a dignified manner. And if I can tell you anything about my upbringing, I can say that my mother taught me how to face the world with dignity. And I am so thankful for that. And I miss her a lot. I always say you guys have a code. Does that, does that figure into this? A code of conduct, a code of behavior, a code of warriors? I, I even say with you guys, it's like a code of samurai, <laughs> that that you you have to live with that code more than you have to worry about the elbows or the pain or what that moment might be making you feel like. But it's more important that after that moment that you did not betray that code, that code yeah. of conduct. Is is there truth to what I'm saying with that? Yeah, ab absolutely. Uh, for, for me, I think that's what's so... 
that's what's so beautiful about fighting. It's, it's one of the things that makes it so uh, immersive. And, and I think why people get into it so much, because though it's, though it's primal, uh, it, it's also very noble at the same time. And yeah, going back to my mom and, and uh, yeah, I, I think fighting is such a beautiful thing. And, and I'm so thankful that I found it because for a guy like me, it was difficult to find ways to express myself. And through, through this sport, you know, I get to go out there and I get to show who I am three times a year if I sign the dotted line. And uh, what a beautiful thing it is. I describe your fight, other fights, other, you know, warriors, if you will, in your sport and in my sport, boxing. I sometimes, Muhammad Ali talked about this, the great late Muhammad Ali talked about this. I want to throw this at you and, and you tell me if you can relate to it and how you relate to it and if it connects at all with you, with your, the things you go through in that fight and in other difficult fights. Where you're in a fight, you get hurt, you get hit punches. Everybody describes it differently. Ali described it this way. I talk about it this way. Where the lights start to blink a little bit. They, they start to get a little dimmer for a second. And all of a sudden there's a corridor. Now stay with me, kid, all right? There's a corridor going down the corridor. And down that corridor is a dark room and you start getting dragged down that corridor a little bit and it's getting darker and darker but you're fighting to go the other way back to the light you do not want to go down that corridor because you know at the end of that corridor it's dark that's all you need to know and you know you don't want to go there so you scratch and you crawl and you 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 dig your fingernails into the walls, what, whatever you got to do, but you're not being taken down that corridor. You're going back to the light. And the ones that do what you did, the extraordinary feat that you did, they get back to the light. The other ones don't get to the light. They get dragged to the dark room. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Makes, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we're almost, we're, we're almost like, uh, after the fight, when I was talking about DC mentioned the elbows and I told him, I didn't remember him. I was being honest and I've watched the fight back enough now that I feel like I can piece it together somewhat. And, uh, I don't remember the, the, you know, everything, the details of it, but, but I can kind of piece it together because I've seen it. But something I do remember feeling is, almost the feeling of that I had already lost that, that I was losing and that I had lost. And I, I, I was able to find little, little lights of glimmer in those moments. And I think that that's what, that's what kind of took me out of the corridor and pushed me further into the light. The small times when, you know, Montalvo was saying, you know, uh, fight back, fight back, fight back. And I was able to answer and just, just connect enough to, to see a little bit of hope. And then I do, I do remember. I think I remember uh, hit, hitting, hitting him on the, hitting him with the cross, and feeling like this is my time. Uh, when, when his head popped back big, so that was that was me. Uh, that was me finding the light and then running towards. And once I scored the takedown, moved into mount. I knew that uh, I knew the end was near because I could feel his energy in, in some way. And early, early in the fight, I scored on him, and he was grappling with me from the bottom, and he was tough and he was strong. 
but at this point, I, I had taken the wind out of his sails, and I could feel that. To go off of that, when to the finish of it, the main event that night, I, I found it a little almost ironic that the main event that night uh, was Rodriguez and Ortega. And unfortunately, it ended with an injury to Ortega, you know, who's known for his ability to perform the triangle choke with his legs. <laughs> You're pretty damn good at that, too. And, and you ended the night with that. Um, is that is that something you reflected on a little bit? And is that something that you consider one of your strengths? Because obviously that's the that's the one of the strengths for Ortega. They he even has a nickname. I forget what they call him. T. -City. What what what, what, what is yeah T City. I mean, when you're called T City, there's a reason why you're called T City. Uh, is is that also something that is one of the strengths for you? Because it looked like it. I got to be honest. Uh, T-City's probably better at him than I am. <laughs> if we're being real. <laughs> Ryan Ortega, he's, he's a really talented grappler. Um, I, triangles have always been probably my number one or two submission in, in my repertoire. And if you look back at my record, amateur and pro uh, grappling matches, I've, I've always had a really high uh, submission rate. And, and I think it's just because I go for them. I shoot my shot. And thus, I, I, I get them. And yeah, the triangle is one of my better ones. I've got a nice darts. I've got a nice guillotine. And I kind of put all three of those together and, and have some nice sequences. And uh, anybody who, who studies film, they, they should be able to come up with a way to stifle my game. But I, I do have uh, quite a few tricks up my sleeve. I've been doing this for a long time. But uh, Can I jump in for one second, Teddy? Yeah, go. I would say to, to your point, though, Matt, when you said you took the wind out of his sails, and we've talked about this with Dustin in particular with his guillotine, it's so much harder during a fight to get those submissions because in training, the guy's going to be quick to tap the minute he feels it on. In fighting, they're fighting to the death, and you actually choked him unconscious because he wasn't going to tap. And, 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 and I mentioned that because when Dustin goes for the guillotine, that might be something you'll get in training, but in, in a real fight, you have to have that so tight so there's a big level of commitment. Was Although you said you took most of the wind out of his sails and you could see that, but does that cross your mind when you're putting it on? Like, uh, if I don't get this, I'm now on bottom and he's going to have a much superior position. Is that something you're consciously thinking about before you go for those submissions? No, I, I didn't know what time it was. I was trying. That was my spot. I, I knew that I knew I could see the way that his blood, like the way he was bleeding out of his face. I could see oh when God. I bite down on it because he would, he would bleed more. So, uh, I was just trying to get to my spot where I know where I knew I could finish. And I've kind of got a weird triangle. Like everybody wants you to really cut that corner hard. And I do that too. And looking back, should have just done that because I probably would, could have gotten him out of there a little earlier, but I, I do finish it sometimes uh, in, in that way. I've got, I've got a good bite with my triangle and, and I kind of rely on that sometimes, but it's, it's kind of something that we should probably fix and, and, uh, for the next one, because yeah, we could have been fighting a third round, but again, I, I really think that I had taken the momentum and I was ready for a third round. I was tired, but you give me a minute, let me sit down, take a shot of water. I would have got back up and, and finished it up. And it would have been a, it would have been a scrap. Uh, and I was kind of thinking that if I remember correctly, like, cause I didn't know what time it was. I was like, crap, he rolled me. Let me get this triangle. And it was kind of sticky there for a second too. I, I had to, had to be patient, got it put it in, and thank goodness was able to, to choke him unconscious. What a stud, though, huh? Sumo Darius, what a killer. 
<laughs> you know, it reminded me in my sport uh, of the late great Arturo Gatti, his ability to recuperate so quickly. You know, one second you hurt him with a really, really, really big punch, but then the next second he's recuperated like he never got hit. You, not everybody has those extraordinary sort of uh, abilities to endure, not to just endure it, but then to recover. Because it's one thing to take it, to endure it, but then you got to recover to give it back, you know, to do the other part. And you did that. I, do you put that? See, I don't, but I'm, I'm going to ask you, I, because I already know part of your answer, uh, your conditioning, I get it. But, and what you go through in camp, I get it. And the red lines that your coaches put up to go into those red line days where you, 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 you go almost past the red line where you shouldn't go past as far as what your body could handle. Um, so obviously that's a big part of it. But for me, the biggest part is the mental part. And being able to keep yourself together, not to panic, not to lose hope, not to give in, not to submit, you know, at all. Not even a little bit, because a little submission, it's over. Um, how, where, do you, where do you see the physical responsibility of that or credit of that and the mental credit of that? Which is more? Which is more yeah. important? I think circling back to what you were talking about with the Evander Holyfield, and that's just, um, I've been there before. <laughs> I've been there before and uh, I've actually me and Poirier have talked about it a lot. And, and it's, it's just now that these things are coming into play for me, even though we probably were talking about this four or five years ago, but uh, you know, just having the humility that when you are hurt kind of uh, not necessarily having too much ego and trying to swing, swing and get it all back, but, get back to the game plan a little bit. You know, I, I think a lot of people could look at this fight and say that I was being reckless, even though I was hurt, but I knew what was going on. And, and what we, what, what we feared most about this kid was getting caught at the end of what he had. Uh, I'm not sure if he had a traditional martial arts background, a lot of kickboxing. He's like a Sanda guy and, and had quite a bit of experience. And uh, we, we recognized that that's that long left hand that was going to hurt us. That long left leg, that was going to hurt us. So in those moments, I was just – I was resorting back to my training in, in the camp and what we, what we put work into. And though I was hurt, I, I still could, could think, all right, don't, don't back into something harder than, you know, I'm, I'm safer here than I am out there. So, uh, yeah, I, I got to give credit to my coaches a little bit. And certainly there, there was a mental aspect to it. And I would think, I, I think that would just simply be experience. I've, I've been roughed up. I've been beat up in front of the whole wide world before. I didn't want to go back to that place. I didn't want to go down that corridor. I, I felt like it was my time. I felt like it was my moment. I worked hard for it. So I dug deep and I, and I got it done, but I would be lying if I told you that there wasn't doubt and that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't in there thinking like, oh, heck. This is bad. <laughs> you would well. I would tell you if you said that if you did say that, I would say what Customato used to say. If there's no guy says there's never doubts in those kind of situations or fear, whatever you want to you know term it as. Um, Teddy, a guy says that they're one of two things: they're either a liar 
or they need to go to a doctor to see what the hell's wrong with them because <laughs> you, you're supposed to feel that. It's human. You're so, but then it's your choice of what you do, what you prepared yourself to do and what you do. But the fear, the doubt, yeah, that's part of it. But then again, it's up to you of what choice do you make at that moment. And as you were describing before about being able to think, I, I don't think enough fighters hear this, especially aspiring young fighters that have to go, want to become you know, a match from now, they want to become a Dustin Poirier, they want to become a, a, a boxing champion, whatever, that you have to get to the place, and you touched on it, where I'll just term it in a more definitive way, a different way, where when you can think where other people can't think in that kind of chaos, in that kind of environment, you have to get to where you can be calm in an uncalm environment. Is that fair? Absolutely. And that's obviously one of the most important things for people in your sport, in your profession, to be able to think straight, to think calmly when there's nothing straight or calm around you when it's when it's fire it's chaos it's crazy it's turmoil it's scary but to be able to still keep your wits and one other thing i want to say about the fighter you fought what you were describing along did you have trouble judging i thought you did judging his range because his arms were so damn long <laughs> where uh, normally you might think you, you might in sparring be out of range but with this guy you weren't out of range yeah and, and we expected it too uh, it's not often that i'm in there with somebody who has a longer reach than me and uh by breaking down his film we knew that not only did he have a long reach but he, he fought well with his reach and and thus back to the game plan we, we wanted to kind of jam him up you know, I knew that if I if I got in uh, and kept it short and choppy, I had the advantage on on the interior, uh, whereas on the outside, we were kind of you know, it was maybe 60, 40 suit. But uh, early on in the first round, I was able to establish my my range, my uh, my distance a little bit. I was able to hit him with hard shots. He was kicking my inside leg and really disrupting because I wanted to put my right hand on his chin. And, and he was doing a good job kicking my inside leg. And uh, that I kind of went back at him with it because it was it was working so well on me. Uh, but, yeah, I think if if the if everything would have played out the way I wanted it, I would have done what I did to him in the first round for the next two rounds. But credit to him, credit to his team, American Top Team, where, you know, I'm, I'm also a guy that trained an American Top Team when I was a little younger. So it's always interesting squaring off against one of their guys. But uh, what a stud happy for him i i hear he's he's recovering just fine he'll probably be out there before too long and uh room for him room for him room for this whole division a hundred percent root for men like you for people like you for people like you I, I one of the things i said that dustin picked up on when he asked us if we want to get you on was that not only do you and your comrades when you fight at this level this way not only do you entertain people, right? We understand that. Um, but, and this is something a lot of people don't talk about, but I talk about it a lot because it's the way I feel. You teach us, Matt. You teach us that there's always somewhere further you can go. 
I describe it in a way like this. You have a house, and you have so many rooms in the house, but some of the rooms you never get in. You guys teach us by your behavior in that, in that cage under those circumstances where you go to rooms within yourself. The body, the mind is a house that say that. That you go into rooms that others don't go into. That you open the door to rooms that otherwise were kept closed, that were unexplored. And you kind of teach us, and I try to put this out there to people, because I try to make our podcast where it's not only about fighting, it's about life and how you can better yourself. And you teach us that, yeah, there's more rooms in your house that you can go into if you're willing to open the door and go into that room. And I just want to really thank you for that. Um, and, and I really, from my heart, and, and thank all those people like Dustin Poirier and all the other gladiators that are part of uh, your profession for just reminding us that there are rooms that we maybe we left the door closed and that we could open the door. <laughs> and um, even, if it's, even if the room's a little dark, we could go in there and we could find the light. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. Um, that's one of the things that it's probably why this podcast is, is so popular. Uh, fighting is profound. It is, it is life's great metaphor. And uh, I like to think that I'm out there fighting like the person I am. I've, I've said it uh, over the years. And uh, not to say that we, we got things to figure out, obviously. And as you can see by the last performance, we're, we're not dealing with a finished product. And such is life, you know. And we can, we can be put in bad spots. And, you know, I'm out here teaching it to myself, too. So I, I appreciate the way that everybody has responded to this. Um, and and I, I do think that I've turned a corner. And you can expect a lot more of great things from me because I've always known that I've had it in me. I've always been one of these guys. Anybody in this sport who's trained around it long enough, they've probably been on the mat with me and they know that I'm a real threat. So um, looking forward to progressing, looking forward to continue to, to face adversity, uh, fear, Fear doesn't make you weak. You know, you have to face it. But uh, I can be afraid of the man I'm standing across from, and I'll go out there and give him a scared ass whipping. And uh, that's, that's <laughs> kind of where I'm at. That's and, beautiful. And I, uh, again, I've had to teach myself that over time, too. You just taught somebody. You told, you know, we have 267,000 subscribers, and um, you just taught a whole bunch of them something uh, by hearing that. That it's okay to be scared. It's okay to... They, they've heard it from me, but it's good they hear it from someone like you. It's okay to be scared. It's normal to be scared. What you do is what matters, not how you feel. And um, you just verified that. And you more than verify it. You live it. You do it. You execute it. Um, you know, I was your fan watching that fight, but now I'm your fan forever, meeting you and seeing the humble human being uh, that you are, as well as the animal that you are when you get in the cage and have to be that animal, that smart animal, that's not just an animal, but that smart animal for your profession, for your livelihood, for your code. Um, but to see this humble person 
dishonest person, I'm in. I'm in the. I'm in the Matt. Sign me up to the Matt Schnell fan club, and uh, I'm already signed up to the Dustin Poirier one and a few others out there. I got to ask you two more things. One, with this great, 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 great win, it always makes possibilities after you win a fight like that. What is next? What do you want to be next? And what could we maybe expect to be next? I'm going to get what I asked for. So Go ahead. I've got a fight coming up. I'm not, I'm not announcing it yet, but we've already signed it. I signed a no new one's, contract. No one's, no one's listening. You can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> signed a new contract with the UFC. Shout out. New, new five fight deal. Very happy with everything. Honestly, uh, you know, things couldn't have been better. And it's, it's not, it's been a tumultuous road for me. I've been in the spotlight since 2012. I was on an MTV reality show. Uh, and it kind of painted a target on my back and didn't necessarily paint me in the best of light, especially to hardcore UFC fans and MMA fans in general. So I feel like I've taken the road less traveled, much like Poirier. Uh, I'm proud to be friends with Poirier. I followed in that man's footsteps and I've learned a lot from just watching him handle himself as well. So I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the support. Uh, I, I'm, I'm such a I'm such a fan fanboy of Poirier, too. And we're, and we're actually buddies. He's he's uh, he's my favorite fighter uh, and, and one of my my good friends. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for everything and happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. It's, well, it's congratulations. First of all, congratulations on that deal. You earned it. Obviously, you earned it. Is there any and I'm not pushing hard, but is there any clue, any any kind of hint that when you say you're getting what you wanted? Um, obviously it's a big fight. It's a competitive, it's a, it's a fight that you are challenged by. Um, they don't make easy fights in the UFC. No, no, ever. it's a tough fight. <laughs> it's a cha It's a fight that challenges you. Um, is there any hit you can give us anything without in any way compromising what you can't compromise? You know, I think I compromised everything by just saying that I'm getting what I wanted. I came out of the cage asking for, for something specific and uh, the UFC, they might be obliging me, but we definitely signed a new deal, uh, bound, bound agreement signed, subject to change, but everything feels good. I'm pretty dang healthy too, Teddy. I know I took a, a whipping out there, but I'm pretty darn healthy. Thank uh, I, was back in the, I was back in the gym today, moving around a little bit. Obviously, we're avoiding head trauma and things of that nature for at least good, another good. 30 days. But uh, mobility is good. Um, I'm, I know I'm 32 years old, going to turn 33 in January, but I'm fresh as a daisy and I'm ready to get back out there. Uh, I, I think I can fight for that gold belt buckle one day. Well, I believe you. I believe that Matt Schnell could do anything. Uh, after what I saw you do uh, under those circumstances, I'm a believer. You, I believe you could do anything you put your mind to, anything. I wouldn't put anything past you, and we wish you the best. I, I got to ask you this before you go out the door. Um, have you tried your man Dustin's uh, hot sauce? <laughs> it's, deli it's delicious. I love it. It has replaced all other hot sauces in my pantry. Oh, I, wow. I buy it retail, too. Poirier doesn't just send me cases of it. <laughs> and you, Lou, you don't get it free, you know? <laughs> no, you I'm don't. Sure, yeah. I'm sure I could, but uh, I no, try not you, to. I try. I try not to bother the big boss, Dustin Poirier, unless I really need something big. The the big dog, the big dog. Um, you 
You know, that's quite a statement there, Matt, that it's the best that's replaced all your other hot sauces uh, in your pantry coming from a Louisiana because you guys know your hot sauces. He, he's done a great job. He added the KO addition too, which is a, a little, little spicier. So, uh, yeah, nothing but nothing but gold stars from me. I got bad sinuses, so I need to get some of that because it sounds like it'll clear them up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if Ken has anything else to add, but yeah, um, I got a couple. Uh, uh, go ahead, Ken. First of all, have you um, you see that picture behind me? I didn't get the wide angle, but that's just I that's think that's best. one of the most iconic UFC photos ever. And one thing I would love to do, and I don't think I've ever asked anyone for anything on here, but is if I can send you a copy of that picture, I'd love to get a signed copy for uh, my gym. Well, number I one. And number two, I'd love to get a copy for um, Teddy has a uh, charity dinner every year on the Thursday before Thanksgiving. We'd love to have you uh, come up to New York and attend it. But if you can't make it, we'd love to get this picture signed and auction it off for a good cause at, uh, at the Dr. Atlas Foundation dinner in, in November. I can definitely guarantee the picture being signed. I'd have to clear it with the boss lady of the house, my wife, who is also pregnant with our with our son, who will be due in January. Oh, God so, bless. Good uh, luck. Definitely, right. definitely a yes on the picture. Let's stay in contact because I'm not completely opposed to coming up to New York for Thanksgiving. Is that yeah. your is that your first child? By my, the way, it's my um, second, my second, second. Child. What do you What do you have? Um, I've got Matt. a two year old girl. Okay. Well, and and do you know what this? I didn't. Did you say that you know what this is going to be? Baby boy, we gonna we gonna name him Junior. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Well, best of luck with that uh, to to you and your wife. Thank you. Uh, that you have a nice, healthy baby boy. So that's another champion coming in the family in the Schnell family. Hopefully, that's hopefully a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my sentiments uh, exactly. Yes. Uh, a, a doctor, yes. And Matt, Matt, one last thing you mentioned, uh, Dustin, in the in the um, in the hot sauce business. What kind of uh, sponsorships do you have outside of the ring? I'm always interested in the business side of things. And have you seen an uptick in inquiries since that iconic comeback? And what sponsors are you working with? And um, who's your manager? I am actually uh, not managed by anybody. I handle my own stuff. Uh, I have Safe Saud in my corner, and he he definitely helps with the contracts and things of that nature, but I am unrepresented. I, I uh, obviously came up and had managers for a long time and it was just, just never really worked out the best for me. And I've, I've had some good managers. I've had some bad ones and had, uh, you know, ended it amicably with everybody, but yeah, there's, there's definitely been more of uh, definitely more inquiries and uh, we're trying to follow up on those things and get some stuff in place. Nothing official yet. Haven't put pen to paper, but uh, we got we got some stuff in the works. Uh, I've got Panini America. They always do good stuff with me. They're the sports card uh, guys. They, they do like football cards and, and the UFC cards and stuff like that. So I'm always doing cool stuff with them. Uh, and, yeah, we got some gear people and, and some other guys on the line. Uh, it's just a matter of, yeah, kind of kind of cinching everything up, putting pen to paper. Well, I hope uh, I just got a text from Dana said it might be uh, you might be going in November. Uh, Niccolo, Niccolo, is that the right? Matthias Niccolo. I'm just kidding. Dana didn't say that, but that's my uh, that's what I'm saying right now. I'm announcing it. You don't have to confirm. 
but I'm announcing that fight in November at MSG and we will be there in attendance. Let's go. <laughs> Again, Matt, thank you. And um, I'm speaking for all our fans, I believe. Uh, thank you for the what you teach us in the cage and the way that you carry yourself as a person outside it. Good luck. Thank you so much, Teddy. Absolute honor. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys.